RTB AM. I was really triggered. We don't want Johnny Sexton having any part of any Netflix curse ahead of the World Cup. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Say is it? It is, yeah. All right. Oh, right. That's yeah. Hump that day. Yeah. Wednesday hump day. Wednesday. Wednesday is tomorrow. Tuesday feels a bit more like a hump day. Something to get over, isn't it? Definitely. A little bit. Yeah. A bit humpy. What feels the humpiest? How, how are you out there today? Humpland. Yeah. Happy transfer deadline day to all who celebrate. Ah, exactly. That's gonna. Oh, yeah. That's gonna propel us forward. Mm. Uh, right. Five o'clock. I preferred when it was eleven o'clock. Today. Five o'clock thing. What's going on? Five o'clock feels weird. Everybody just wants to go home. Yeah. In fairness to them, everybody just wants to go home. And they've all got homes to go to. And, like, you know, you young fellas with, with no commitments. It's true. You don't, you don't care about the ones who have to get, like, got to do the. Got to make lunches for tomorrow. Yeah, and I've got to get this thing over to Real Madrid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's five it, o'clock somewhere, to be fair. Will the kids be hungry at lunchtime tomorrow, or will I sign a new goalkeeper? Yeah. Which yeah, yeah. thinks is going to happen? Yeah. Uh, producer Columns told us it's 11 o'clock for the men's, five o'clock for the women's. There you go. Right, right. <laughs> Saw a great clip last night of top quality research done at OTBAM this morning. <laughs> Fair play. Fully aware of everything that's going on in the world. My my favourite uh, ever transfer was was Dimitar Berbatov on deadline day to United, thirty million. I remember the whole Berbatov lying down in the back seat of the car under Ferguson's coat. Um, like I sat up very late as a kid waiting to, for this to be concluded. I saw a clip yesterday. I think was it Fraser Campbell, the former United striker. Steve Bruce was the manager of Wigan at the time, and. Um, Fergie, he gets a call from this uh, withheld number late at night and Fraser Campbell answers and says uh, yeah Fraser it's Sir Alex here um, so we're signing Berbatov for 30 million but the deal's only going to go through if you go on loan to Wigan uh, you have three minutes to decide and I'll call you back and Fraser was like oh, I'm not going to say no I'm not going to block United, well, United's move for Berbatov so what was literally I don't know how the move I don't why know how were they the interconnected? Move, I don't know why or how. Do you think they weren't interconnected and they were just like, here, listen, we've got to get rid of this guy. What do we do? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah. Make him the centre of a massive transfer psychodrama. Yeah, maybe that was it. I, maybe, I don't know what, the, what the, the, the deal was that they had to get rid of someone like Fraser Campbell, but yeah, deadline day is, um, it's lost its luster. Spurs he went alone to, that was the point. Spurs, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, right. A replacement. Uh, fair enough. How'd that work out for him? <laughs> yeah. Spurs fans are delighted. Oh, we got all this money and clear our place in the pecking order is now to supply the good teams with better players. Our better players. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Berbatov worked. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alan Fraser Campbell was one of those good players came up through the United ranks Berbatov was a brilliant sign for United. I remember at the time a lot of my mates were on the fence, but now looking back, cult hero status. Best first touch in world football. One hundred percent. Sorry, I wasn't asking the question. I was. I okay, was. Pu- okay. I was. Pu- I mean, making the point. Is, is there is there not an opportunity cost? Were there not better strikers in the world who would have done more? Who would have like fired the team to Champions League glory? Oh, hey, um, is there not? Well, there probably. What were, did he win? What did he win? He won a. He certainly won a Premier League. He won one Golden Boot, did he? Yeah, like recollection of he scored a lot of goals at United. He didn't score a lot of goals. He was top scorer once in a, one of those seasons where like twenty goals barely got you to the top. Like he wasn't Messi, Ronaldo. You know, he's like 
I, I'm not. I'm, we're, we're nitpicking here because you said he was a great signing. I don't think he was a great signing. I mean, he was a cult hero looking back. Yeah, he maintained the standards. Uh, yeah. yeah. Painting's as good as Sorry, Gaining. Sorry, jo- we, we, we haven't touched on this. Johnny Ward, if anyone has heard it in the crappy quiz, said Eric Cantona was overrated. Oh, dear. And he started to make his point and saying he wasn't great in Europe. And Arthur made the point back that, well, United could only play a couple of players in Europe because of the rules back then. Yeah. And the he, Schmeichel. And he didn't do it in Europe. International players, that is. He, he didn't do it. But I mean, to say Eric Cantona was overrated... Johnny shouldn't be let, letting the show again. Ah, no. I think that there's a, there's a large body of evidence to suggest that oh, Eric Cantona was good, not great. That, like, winning the league was a, is the seminal achievement of his career for Manchester United, and therefore Manchester United fans are obviously in love with Cantona, and rightly so. He is, uh, he's, he is that little Jenga piece that gets the team over the line against, like, uh, the might of... Blackburn or you're, Newcastle or whoever it was that they managed to fend off when they'd spent more yeah. money than anybody else. I can else. see the smirk on your face. There's a slight smirk on your face. they were the Manchester face. City of their time. But that's fair enough. I understand that. There's but a he, slight smirk on your he face. He didn't. And I hope. He wasn't at the same level again as Romario or Stoichkov or those strikers in world football at the time who were genuinely world class. He wasn't world class. That's the thing. Cantona wasn't world class. But he wasn't, he wasn't getting he picked was in World Eleven. He wasn't what? He wasn't getting picked in a World Eleven. Eric Cantona. As the best, like, so, what year? This what is year like the Beckham argument, but like, Canton is on a different level to Beckham again. Well, in terms of your love for him, maybe, but that doesn't, it's, you're just talking about your love, and that's fine. No, 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 I'm not talking about my love. fine, we, we got, anyway. No, 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 no. Cantona was a great footballer. Please let us know in the comments. Oh, can, <gasps> not me, by the way. It's not, it's not a hot take to, see, to say Cantona was great. This is Jer's. Uh, look, wasn't my, my point is that in, uh, I think Johnny's point probably is that in European football, when they were up against the cream of the crop, he didn't perform at the same level. He only played a couple of international players. Him being one of them, Schmeichel being another. They had others as well. What's the What's the point? Chelsea. What's it like? That, how does that diminish his performance? Like he still would have had all the amazing English players that they had. You know, I, look, I I don't want to get sucked into a massive no, Eric Cantona. I, 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 don't, I, don't I love Eric Cantona. I absolutely love Eric Cantona. I think that like he's again when the history back. No, 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 no. When the history of when the history of English football. In the Premier League era, it gets written, Eric Cantona is one of the larger-than-life flamboyant figures in it. But you could that say one of the greats. That doesn't make him Maradona. Like, the way you're talking about it is like, oh, he's up there with George Best. No, 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 no. He's no, up no. there with any of those great Manchester United players oh, like, yeah, in well, terms of achievements, uh, perhaps. He's one of the top it, ten United players of all time. But in, in terms of, uh, like, um, is he? Eric Cantona is one of the top ten. All right, okay. Well, yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's your homework for tonight: is name your top ten and right. see where he comes in the ten. In the ten, Charlton, Best, Law, right? They're all ahead of him, right? Yeah, Roy Keane. No, no, obviously, they came ahead of him. my time, but I'm, but I'm going on. I'm going on reputation. Yeah, of course, they right. have the reputation. Yeah, and we've seen the videos of Best. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say he's. he's so we've got the five best. there. He's in the top ten. Okay, well, that's your homework. It's yeah, I'll write them. to us tomorrow. Uh, 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. But I love, I love Eric Cantona. I do. I, I think uh, incredibly important. But like, that doesn't necessarily mean that like he was the best player in Europe. And that what you're talking say, about. I is, said he, you said he was good, not great. Yeah, he was good, not great. Like great greatness is like you. Greatness if, is, if anyone embodied greatness, it was Eric Cantona. Greatness is Keane's performance in Turin. Yeah, right, greatness the, is is that that's what greatness is. Everything isn't great just because just because TikTok says it's great. No, I don't, I'm not even on TikTok. No, I think it's your it's brain the cult, is though. It's the cult of his personality that propels. Put, him. Cult, he had a great personality. He it's, like yeah. he yeah. was so did Keane. Yeah, but I'm talking about um, 
Um, also, we do not need to give Johnny Ward any more encouragement. It's like... Uh, oh, we do. It's like Hans and Pete in The Simpsons with the accordion. It's not a quarter. He'll be dancing for hours now. <laughs> uh, right, very good morning to you. We've got uh, plenty coming up between now and 10 o'clock. I'm going to tell you what's coming up and then we're going to talk about Roy McIlroy for a few minutes. Uh, Aidan O'Mahony's going to join us live at five past eight. He is uh, getting the Lecker Gale treatment. Is that tonight? It is tonight, yeah? Yes. Tomorrow night. Uh, Thursday, this Thursday. Uh, Phoebe Schechter, uh, fresh from um, being a breakout star on Sky Sports NFL coverage, is going to talk to us about the Super Bowl and uh, Championship Weekend, which is just over. Colin Milani is going to join us at 8.45 with a roundup of today's sports news. And then after that, we've got Derek McNamara previewing the start of the Six Nations, uh, ranking the teams. We've got deal or no deal on transfer deadline. day. was going all the way to 11 o'clock. They don't care about your kids' lunch. And uh, some, some mystery goodness coming your way at half nine this morning as well. If you want to get in touch with us, 079-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Yesterday, uh, when we left, it was like, this is looking a little bit dodgy for Roy McIlroy against Patrick Reed. And afterwards, after sinking the putt on the final hole, Rory's like, I had to expend a lot of mental energy forgetting about who I was up against uh, at the top of the leaderboard for fear it might overcome me. I'm like, this is very mature, hopefully. This is the birth of something. Because we were talking with Nathan on the show yesterday. I was like, ah, it doesn't really matter what happens here. This is setting them up for the start of the year. But that's not true, no. I don't think. No. Like, if he'd lost, if he'd, if he'd rattled that putt in the hole and it has, like, jawed in and come out and he misses the one back and loses, you're like, oh, my God. And also, Patrick Reed killed him at the Masters. Mm. Like, broke his spirit, broke his soul. And his soul is coming back. He's now like the finger in the dike of the overwhelming power of Saudi Arabia. And it's like, can't lose that. Oh. But to fend him off. It, 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 the, the best part of my day yesterday was Patrick Reed's face. They didn't go to it straight away afterwards, but maybe 10 minutes after the. He was kind of hiding a little bit. He was. Yeah, yeah, he knew the camera was there, didn't he? He, but he was the dose of the day yesterday, Patrick Reed, and, and someone I just... But then again, golf needs those players that you love to hate. And I love to hate Patrick Reed, but maybe that's a good thing. And maybe I should be thanking Patrick for that. Because, I mean, we need those, those uh, sports people that we, that yeah. we detest. Nathan so. made that point, and, and Dave McIntyre was making the point uh, last night on the news round as well, that actually he really enjoys watching Patrick Reed. I mean, I, I guess I guess they're correct that a little bit of hate watching in your sport is very important mm. I don't enjoy watching him I, I think that would be a stretch I think every time he pops up on the screen my blood starts to boil a little bit um, and that, that, that moment where you can see his heart break into a thousand pieces as Rory's yeah. birdie putt goes in on the last hook it to my veins are you not entertained yeah. well that's the thing Like if Rory McIlroy was beating a nondescript European golfer from Scandinavia or I don't know, Asia, you'd be like, oh, Roy McIlroy's winning. But actually, this mm. did turn into something much bigger. And, you know, maybe maybe Liv Golfer are doing his favour here. Absolutely. It's like a Herculean task now, where it's like, if you are going to be one of the all-time greats, Rory, you're going to have to start ticking these boxes and mm. beating them one by one, which will be great to watch. I mean, yeah, as you say, the villainy <laughs> that Patrick Reed embodies in so many ways <laughs> is absolutely excellent and I think should be embraced. Um, but at the same time, McElroy and Reed and them going down, and you'd love to have seen them play together. 
Yeah, yesterday. yeah, yeah. Well, there I, was there the was yeah. Oh. yeah. Sorry, that was the other thing they were talking about on the, on the news round. Oh, they'll have to shake hands. I'm like, will they? They wouldn't have shaken I don't, hands. I don't know. They wouldn't have. I don't know. No, no chance. Well, not not this week. Like, they made such a big deal out of hating each other this week that, like, they couldn't then just on the tee. No. I was, it was only fake. It wasn't fake. Rory, was Rory and Patrick Reed will never shake hands again. I think they will. They won't. I think if they're p- paired in the Ryder Cup... Uh, you have to shake hands. There's no. It's not like you know a game of snooker where beforehand, you, before the deciding frame, you, you shake hands. You know, famous was famous, famously Mark Allen and Rianne Evans, his ex-girlfriend, had a match last year, and very frostily Mark held out his hand, and Rianne refused to shake his hand. There's no. There are moments where in sport you the the the, um, the decorum is to shake hands with your opponent before a playoff in golf or before a, fi- a deciding frame in snooker, but that doesn't mean you have to do it. You're not going to you're not going to be fined if you don't shake your hand. I mean, Rory was subpoenaed as we as we know on Christmas Eve. He's not going to shake his hand ever again. He hates him. Well, I mean, Rory changed his mind about stuff. Next week he could be over it because he's beaten him, and it's like now he's no longer an important character in my life. Mm. I'm, I have like. It's good to see Patrick doing well. Lance the Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, my friend Patrick. Uh, yeah, it was that. It was that. The fact that Rory went birdie birdie to finish it, like. And and the fact that it was Rory and Patrick Reed, we were all huddled around the, the TVs out there. I think we would have been anyway if Rory was going for a win against anyone. But the fact that it was Patrick Reed just meant everyone was on the edge of their seats. It was kind of like yeah. there's something riding on this. We don't want Patrick Reed to win. Am I right in thinking this is really McIlroy's first big kind of beefy rivalry, where there's like there's a little bit of like every tension. every barb is like grist to the mill, and he feels that oh this could this is getting tasty now. This could be there could be a proper bust up here. Well, there, there, yeah, I, I think so because I don't think he was ever really having rivalries with anybody but himself and his game. You know, he he missed the peak of Tiger, mm. came along. Tiger was gone because of the car accident, and then Tiger came back, and he, they were by that stage they were kind of frenemies, more friend than enemy at all. And obviously, Tiger's handed the mantle over to him, and now he's single handedly saving golf. And um, I do I do think it's really interesting, like. Uh, Irish people were very ambivalent about Rory but all of a sudden when the rest of the world started attacking him from the live perspective we were like no no you can't do that he's one of ours yeah, leave him alone it's, um, it's been great for has the, has the Irish narrative changed on Rory in the last five years oh like, we love him now yeah but there was a time where well because he wouldn't play for us in the Olympics yeah it was the Olympics. so important he played for us God, if you go and play golf for us in the Olympics how can you consider yourself Irish like well I consider myself more than Irish so you know <laughs> well, well you can't do that you're not allowed I don't think the, the Trump Friday, thing helped. Either. It says in the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the Trump thing didn't help. He yeah. did. He did say he wouldn't do it again. You know, I think mm. when someone makes a mistake and they go, "I made a mistake," then I have to admire them even more. I think personally. Yeah, yeah. It, that I think reminds so. me of the. Do you see the quotes from uh, Owen Farrell yesterday, where he was being talked about his uh, finding his son in the house wearing an Irish rugby jersey? This is interesting for, right? for, for Granddad. This is interesting. Like he was like, take it off. Yeah, we've got to give we've got to give Andy Farrell a job for life, just in case his second son turns out to be just as good as yeah as Owen at rugby. Because if he is, we'll have an out half for fifteen years. Yeah, <laughs> get him in the team of seventeen. Yeah, twenty years. It turns out the way uh, Sexton's going. Mm. That's I fair. Mean, yeah, I mean there's there's a pipeline there for it'll sure. Come up through our system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's not wearing an England jersey. No, it's true. Maybe when his brother's playing, he's wearing one. But the fact that Owen Farrell's son is walking around the gaff in an Irish rugby jersey makes me makes me so happy inside. Uh, but the way Owen Farrell was going on, it was like you'd swear the kid went out and bought the top himself. It's like it's clearly like, an adult bought him this top or gave it the top to him. Oh, it, it, Andy obviously gave it. it, it to did, him. Yeah, that, that was right. the. <laughs> 
Uh, I'd love to have seen Owen's face. Speaking of Patrick Reed's face at that moment that his heart broke, to see Owen Farrell's face the moment he saw his kid in his house wearing an Irish rugby top. Yeah. I mean, fantastic. Um, the other thing that happened, uh, Shane Larry is now on the lookout for a new caddy. Uh, uh, the split has been amicable. I guess more details will come out in a while, but um, it says he's urgently searching for a new caddy in the newspaper reports this morning. So um, that was a that was a brilliant partnership while it lasted. Uh, you know, um, himself and Bo, obviously. Mm. Yeah, good friends. I, I actually I wrote a little limerick. Oh yeah, yeah, just for the you know the people. Some people might remember we had a, a segment on the show last week which we debuted called Shit Limericks. Hashtag Shit Limerick. Hashtag on, Shit Limerick. On Twitter, if you will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we didn't get the Cameron. You you had submitted one as well. It was on Glenn Kilmacud Croaks. Yes. That situation. We we decided to to write one. Um, so we're encouraging people to send in their their shit limericks, their hashtag shit limericks. Um, but I've written a quick one just on on the the Shane and Bo relationship. This is this. Well, it wasn't exactly much thought put into this. Uh, I think we have it up on screen as well, potentially. But uh, it's called Shane and Bo. Shane said farewell to Per Bo. No more golf for the bearded combo. Needs someone new on the bag who can deal with jet lag and help his short game plateau. Oh. So there you go. Very oh, nice. It was plateau like, isn't used enough. Thank you. And it, it's, its pronunciation is important because you could say plateau, you know, plateau. or combo, but yeah, it's the way you pronounce it to, to make it fit into your poem. you got to kind it's of... The, yeah, but the emphasis on the right syllable. Yes, yeah, yeah, make it scan. Gotta get a plateau kick. He's freshly baked. Gotta get a plateau kick. Big Jair's malfunction. 7.47 this morning. Cantona definitely overrated. Beckham was a much better footballer overall. Don't Brian. start reading out the comments that just Bobby go Dwyer to says, Cantona's overrated, not just in Europe, never scored over 20 goals in the league season, less than one and two goal scoring record at United, not, not in top 20 Premier League centre forwards. Cantona was good, not great. The only things great about him were his personality and ability to kick fans in the crowd, says Patrick Kyle. He gets super bonus points in I my care eye not one for jot. doing that. Um, Paul Roxburgh says, That zippy on Shane is greatness. It's a nice one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Elveries. They're doing a nice little unsponsored. This is a range of retro Ireland. We will, of course, take some sponsorship from you course, if you want yeah, us. Yeah. Uh, USA 94. Yeah. Uh, Kathleen McNamee had one similar in the office recently, so that inspired me to go out and get one. Uh, they're comfortable. Bit of bit of a retro look. They're deadly. They look yeah. brilliant. Are they the nice. official ones we wore in '94? I think so. Uh, right. Certainly, they're down as USA '94 retro memorabilia. So, yeah, if you want to get one, that's where I got it. Um, Colm says he thinks they're '96 or '97. Could be. Could be. Yeah. The old '94 uh, branding is more powerful than. Well, maybe. What, what yeah. did we do in '96? Oh, we got. It was the end of the Jack Tartan era, and we got absolutely destroyed in, in Anfield by mm. a mediocre Dutch side. True. Yeah. Although, yeah. in fairness, they weren't mediocre. They were backbone by the Ajax team. And yeah, that's fair. Um, and then '98, obviously, we didn't qualify, Playoffs even though we had, you know, good team, decent team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peak yeah. Roy Keane, goal scoring Roy Keane. It's still good gear. I forget about it. It reminds us of a nice era, of nostalgia. You've it's got a, a Zach Morris. Oh, Keane's injured for the 2000s. When did he? When did Keane do his cruciate? Oh. Oh, so he misses that one. All right. He, I think he played a good bit of the the campaign. Anyway, September '97, he does it. But have we not? Is that like the campaign's not largely? Well, maybe it's not. It's still, the September and March to go. Oh, someone says USA '84 with Adidas. Um, yeah, fair. Uh, I'm not, not going to argue, but I, I will argue on the Cantona point. That sorry, someone says back to back L's for Shane. I don't know what my previous L was, but um, well, we all know that the, one. The Limerick. I feel that's harsh. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I thought the Limerick uh, was good. Cantona definitely overrated. Beckham was much better. I've already done that one. Sorry. Uh, James McCullough says Shane's jacket is class where did he get it he's already told you it's Elvery's but we're not getting any money so you can get them in other places too <laughs> um, great point Jared Cantona wasn't the same league as Klinsman Romario of Ambassador etc and he failed for France 
Sorry, I'm not saying I'm not. I never made the no, point. Can't can tell his goals. You, you know, he, he banged in goals. Oh. He was a great Van Nistelrooy oh, type setter forward. Great. I said he was great. Yeah, I said, I, I'm not saying he's as great as in he was one of the five greatest players of all time, but he was a great footballer. Ah, look, I mean, by that case, you know. How, how is Eric Cantona not a great footballer, lads? Well, Sorry. What does greatness mean? You have to, words have to mean something, Shane. You can't just, okay. just go like, down oh, my parameters are I whatever think. I want today. Do you, do you, ah, it's great. Do you turn great. the TV on to watch him? That's are, are totally you, different. No, no, hold on. Totally you're you're a Man United fan. Of course you turn the TV on to watch him. No, no, no. If you're a neutral, you want to watch Eric Cantona as well. And, Paul, and McGrath, also, Paul McGrath. I have, I have Paul McGrath ahead of him in the... He's a great. The, He's yeah. a great. But in the list of 10-man United players... Top 10 United players. Paul McGrath. <laughs> you put me on this. He's in the top, the top 20 anyway. Who's in the top 20? Cantona. Uh, uh, McGrath. Oh. McGrath's in the top 20. He's in the top five Villa players. He's top five Villa players of all time, but United have had a lot more greats than Villa have had. That's a fair point. He's We've had like, far more great players than Villa. He's in the top five Ireland players. That's of all time. Yeah, yeah, Completely that's a fact. Irrelevant. He's ahead of Cantona. <laughs> well, Cantona wasn't Irish, but I take your point. Um, no, Cantona, you, you turn the game on because he's silky, smooth. He does have the aura as well, but he also achieved. He, he won trophies at United. What, yeah. How many how many Premier Leagues did he did he win? Was there only one season he didn't get a Premier League at United? Uh, Sorry. Uh, okay. uh, well, there was the season, obviously, he was banned that he didn't get it that year. And then he yeah. came, comes back and scores the winner in like nine goals and nine games in a row or whatever it is, ridiculous at the end of the season. He was a really superb player, but like Alan Shearer is a great player. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he's not on the level of Shearer. No. So, how many uh, Premier Leagues did he win? We're getting. We're getting. Um, Sorry, he won four Premier Leagues, and he was only there from '92 to '97. He won four Premier Leagues in five years, and two FA Cups. Ah, here. But FA lots Cups. of other players are on the team too. Yeah, but Cantona was a fulcrum of that team, wasn't he? Yeah, very important player. Yeah. He's also completely. How did they do in the How did they do in the Champions League? Even though they were like the highest spenders in in wage and. Uh, and wasn't he completely played out of the game in the '95 FA Cup final? Against Everton, which they really shouldn't have lost. 96 FA Cup finally scores a winner against Liverpool. Through a body, a sea of bodies. He made and up he, for it. He missed the 95 one. Colin is saying he missed it because of the suspension. So oh. there's, uh, That's why I another one. No, no great player. <laughs> if, if you were the best player on a team that won four Premier Leagues in five years, then you're, then you're a great player. Uh, Fact, I disagree with most of the people in the comments. All right. Uh, Town Forlan? Town. I would, is, there, is that right? Yeah. Cantona was very good, not a great. He made the difference to that team, a double-double winning team. But to use the cliche, he wasn't a top, top, top player. No, fair enough. I think, look, we, we are nitpicking here uh, mm. for the sake of picking of nits. Uh, FIFA confirmed, we knew this already, but obviously FIFA have officially, officially made it official that our game against Australia is going to move from uh, to the stadium Australia from the Sydney football stadium. Did these all have previous names, or is the Stadium Australia a, a new, an actual new ground? Anyway, perhaps that's because it's it was a, for Sydney two thousand, yeah. wasn't it? Was it? It was built, I think. So yeah. It's the Olympic Stadium. Th- uh, it's w- no, it was one of the stadiums built for Sydney two thousand, and it's okay. been used by the men's and women's Australian team, I think, in, in recent years. Uh, Ireland are ninth of the thirty-two counties. So thirty-two counties. <laughs> yes. Freudian slip. Oh. Uh, Ireland ninth of the thirty-two nations who have bought tickets in terms of uh, purchasing power so far, and you have to assume that there are some people who are like sticking themselves down as uh, fans of other countries just to get in, you know? Because we like to do that. We like to show up in the in the home fans and suddenly take off our tops and we're like, yeah, we're green. <laughs> Hashtag best fans in the world. 
Well, you know, this is a good opportunity for us to... Will that sell out then, the 82,000? I'd imagine it will. Yeah, what's 4% of 82,000? Oh, no, Matt's Cam- Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> my maths wasn't great, never was. Still isn't. Like 3,200 or whatever? I mean, um, it'd be fantastic. The atmosphere is going to be brilliant, fuck yeah. The Six Nations starts this weekend. Uh, the papers are full of it today. We are going to be obviously uh, previewing a little bit later with Derek McNamara. We're going to be previewing it tomorrow with uh, Keith Woods and Nigel Owens and we'll have rugby every day for the rest of the week basically and every day for the rest of the Six Nations no doubt but you've been picking your teams Cameron yeah yeah it's great that we've been given a bank holiday to celebrate the start of the Six Nations I think that was a great move by us uh, yeah I've picked um, could we not have could we just not have made it the day after the Super Bowl could we just not yeah, have made I, it the, the day after the Super Bowl I was very annoyed when I like found that out that it's not this weekend it's <laughs> the extra weekend. week that they've added to the NFL season has really screwed us Pro Bowl, man. Pro Bowl. Mm. Not the same. Not the same. Right. What have you picked? So, um, I've gone for a fairly pedestrian Ireland 15 that I think um, Farrell's going to pick. I have a few little quibbles with what he selected, but there it is up on screen. So, yeah. Literally not a single difficult... It's like first team based on this is who you pick if you're... You're at the gates of hell and you need this team to save you from a lifetime that's of the devil. I don't feel like that's, yeah. Where was that accent from? Which county was that? I don't know. Is that a tie? You go on, lads. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel he's going to go very route one with his selection choices, which I kind of disagree with. I think Ross Byrne should start at 10 for Ireland uh, this weekend. I think it'd be a great test for him. I think the the kind of the pressure atmosphere of a potentially closed roof Millennium Stadium against Warren Gatlin's Wales with all that momentum that's been built and all that hype and the Welsh fans behind him would be a great test for Ross, I think. For our podcast listeners who haven't seen the graphic, it is exactly I go through it. Yeah. It's exactly what you would expect. Yeah. It's yeah. Porter, Sheehan, Furlong, Tyg Byrne, James Ryan, Peter Manny at seven, uh, Caitlin Doris at eight. Sorry, Peter Manny at six. Caitlin Doris at 8, Josh Van de Fleer at 7, Gibson Park, Sexton, Bundy, Gary Ringrose, James Lowe, Hugo Keenan and Mac Hansen. Mm. Um, which is basically the first choice available team. The only one that you think might get in if everybody was available is Robbie Henshaw. Yeah. But other than that, I do wonder if Peter Marley might become a sub. Not sure. Or when that's going to happen in his career because it's going to happen at some point. And, yeah. um, and if they, like... I, I do wonder if there's a possibility that they don't start Furlong in this game and that they leave Furlong on the bench given how little rugby he's played mm. and that that's a, again that opportunity so you have the, the safety of, of having Furlong on the bench and um, like given that Sexton hasn't played either but Sexton's the captain there's no way he's not starting like I, I think to your point starting Ross Byrne putting Sexton on the bench and giving Ross Byrne the first 50 minutes and then bringing Sexton on to ease him back into the tournament you could see how that might happen but again because he's captain because he's been out to impress because he's fully fit because he wants to play rugby because he's our best player by a while uh, they're going to pick him yeah absolutely but I I think I don't think you don't start Furlong and don't start Aki because it's the same rationale surely that Aki hasn't played very much for Connacht recently Aki's fit Furlong's not, or Furlong has not been fit, mm. at but least to our knowledge, whereas Bundyaki has been fit and not picked. There's a difference there, I think. I don't know. Hugo Keenan wasn't fully fit when he came back in for November, was he? And that was his first game of the season. Did you have... You, you had Aki in your team there? Yeah. Like, I think it's it's harsh on Stuart McCluskey. Oh, I wouldn't even have thought of McCluskey. I think well, like, that's he, a he game to bring in. He played all the November games and he's been... Like, Ulster players 
I'm not. This isn't my little uh, tiny violin. Ulster players often get a, get overlooked. Yes. I think. And McCluskey has played well for Ulster. He's been a, one of the only players that's played well for Ulster in recent months. Well, yeah. Absolutely. One of the things that unites the GAA and rugby <laughs> communities in the north is their sense of um, injustice. Yeah, they're treated <laughs> by Dublin. Siege mentality. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But uh, I think if anyone deserves a potential inclusion, it's McCluskey. Give, just given that Aki hasn't played as well. If Aki had been playing, I, I wouldn't really argue against it. But I mean. I don't know. I think if you were picking someone outside of Aki at 12, it'd be Jimmy O'Brien, surely. Mm. Given the way he kind of slotted Ooh, slot the Ulster fans! Ooh! That's a slight. That's a slight, I think. So I'm you're sure. saying McCluskey is fifth choice? I, I put him ahead of Osborne. Okay, right. I th- right. Just because of his lack of test experience. I think McCluskey... It kind of depends on how they want to go about this game and what they think Wales are going to bring. This is an insult to Ulster rugby, by the way. Um, Fourth choice, Stuart McCluskey. Yeah, you know. Sorry, sorry, Ulster. I um, think it doesn't matter what Wales are going to bring. I don't think that Ireland should be picking their team based on anything to do with this Welsh side at the moment. And uh, you know, since Warren Gatland's first day out, if Ireland play their game and control possession and go through the phases, we should be beating Wales comfortably. Like this is one of those. Do not give Wales any in in the game. Don't give them any hope. Mm. Smash them. Just play our game. Don't start slowly, lads. Like we, you know, don't start slowly, and absolutely do not give the sucker an even break. This is usually we're usually we're day late. I think actually this is the week of an Ireland Wales Six Nations game, and ordinarily Jer has started an anti Welsh agenda by the Monday. No, so I, now is your time, Jer, for the people of Wales online and yeah. the people of hello Wales of the valleys watching from Cardiff to Swansea to Clandudno and. Mount Snowden. Let us know I'm not what you give think. Them any cheap headlines. We think of the sheep. I was going to say something there that they wouldn't have liked the the sheep liking folk. What 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 do you, what do you make of them, Jer? This week, uh, I, I think that uh, Welsh rugby was clearly in crisis. I think that the I mean we were right to say that they were completely shambolic two years ago. We were just a year early. Mm. Yeah, uh, and if there hadn't been a red card in that game, they got they got so lucky in that championship, and it was. It was false gods. That's what it was. So this time around, uh, Gatlin's back and, you know, uh, Gatlin's prowess is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And his connection with that Welsh rugby team and those fans is phenomenal. And so uh, you just you, you would be careful not to poke the bear this week because obviously... Um, yeah, no, no bulletin board material required, but I do think that like you don't let them into this game, and you don't start picking your team on the basis of oh they're going to have two small centres, we need to pick two big centres. You just go out and you go, we're the best team in the world, mm. we're going to crush you, and we're going to move on. We're, we're all we're all about the business this week. The handicap appears to be added by six for this weekend, which I think is probably about right. Yeah, I just I don't know. I think we probably um, to. Borrow Adrian Barry's riff on opening the kimono. Um, I think we probably showed a lot of teams how to beat us against Australia. I think we walked into that game thinking this is going to be easy. And Australia somewhat cracked the code. Like, But for the bounce of the ball, it would have been a draw. And Ross Byrne managed to kick the winning uh, penalty, which got us over the line. Two things. I think Australia are actually way better than everybody else thinks because... Uh their results have been poor but their performances have been excellent sure um, and the other thing is that we, we definitely were a little bit complacent in that game I don't think we're going to be complacent against Wales in the opening game of the Six Nations no but I think um, Wales are going to be up for it and they know that the key to beating an Ireland side as France showed last year and as Irish showed against Leinster is deprive them of the ball 
Mm. I don't think Wales are going to be have any appetite for kicking the ball away stupidly this weekend. I think they're going to try and frustrate Ireland and be that team that's the thorn in our side, as they've been for years. I mean, we haven't won there since 2014. Have you picked a Welsh team? I have. So have uh, this there place. it is. So it's uh, Gareth Thomas, Ken Owens, Thomas Francis, uh, Adam Beard and Alwyn Jones in the second row and a back row of Jack Morgan, Justin Tipperick and Falatau. And then 9 and 10, Tomas Williams and Dan Bigger. Kieran Williams of Ospreys and George North in the centre and then Josh Adams Alex Cuthbert and Liam Williams are they all fit? Uh, at the moment yeah from what all I've right. seen yeah. no, it's, not, it's not about us it's okay isn't it? it's the first time in a long time that like they've all been you've thought about them mm. <laughs> well, yeah I mean true but also that they're all actually fit at the same time yeah because I think the one doubt is Lee Halfpenny which is why I've left him out um, he might be in instead of Liam Williams and maybe he'd move over to wing and Alex Cuthbert would lose out but that's that's how I see the team lining up um, I think the player that people might notice isn't there is Nick Tompkins but I think Kieran Williams is very much a Gatlin player he's quite effusive in his praise of, of Williams so far this season uh, sees him as a younger Scott Gibbs so I wouldn't be like totally writing them off I, I, I'm not writing them off. I just do think that like um, Ireland can't be picking a team on the fact that um, you know. Uh, so to counteract George North's size, we need to go with McCluskey or whatever. You didn't do that either, though. No, I didn't. Um, but I think if we're going to maybe keep our cards closer to our chest, it wouldn't be the worst idea to pick based on what the teams are going to bring. Um, which is why maybe a McCluskey might get in mm. um, in place of an Aki if um, Farrell is so inclined. But I just I feel like this year, and I hate this line of oh, we might need to lose a game this year in the Six Nations. Might do us the world of good. Of course it won't. That's stupid. And we didn't exactly blow everyone away in November anyway. Um, but I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to pick teams based on whether there's injuries in the World Cup. Let's play what's in front of us and keep our grand master plan for the World Cup under wraps for a little bit longer, that wouldn't be the worst idea, I don't think. Um, yeah, the only thing is I don't think there is a grand master plan. It's just get better at doing what we're doing at the moment and hope that that's enough to see you through. Like, there's no uh, magic tactic in the sky mm. to, uh, to steal a phrase that is going to suddenly be unfurled by any team at a World Cup like if you look back at the previous winners it's always been the team playing the very best version of themselves or as close to the best available version of themselves um, in finals and being able to deal with multiple styles so it's better that we're coming up against a Gatlin Wales team it'll absolutely sharpen us and if we lose I don't think it's a disaster it's not great um, but it will you know uh, it'll certainly make us think about uh, improving everything that we possibly have to improve I like you though I would definitely be giving some people extra game time at this stage to see how they do I'd love to see Ryan Baird start the game and mm. I'd love to see whoever they decide is our second choice tight head start the game and you have Omani on the bench and mm. you have Tyke Furlong on the bench Absolutely. and when 55 minutes are on the clock and these two are coming on it's like okay Lions captain Ireland captain best tight head in the world shit it's serious now you know and I'd love to see Ross Byrne start a game that isn't against England because <laughs> he always seems to start those but I'd love to see him start against France or Italy France. Yeah. or Italy exactly um, I think he's probably he's got the opposite problem to Joey Carberry where he can set the tempo but maybe not maintain it and that was kind of obvious against Rossing a couple of weeks ago uh, Carberry's problem is that he, he kind of struggles to 
set the momentum of the game, um, whereas Ross Byrne can get the ball rolling. All right. Cameron, good stuff. It's five minutes past eight. Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off the Ball. Brayburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green store near you with Brayburn locations popping up every month. Visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn coffee experience. Up next, Aidan Omani. OTB AM. The latest episode of Lake Regale airs on Thursday evening on TG Car and it stars Aidan O'Mahony. Aidan, good morning Jay. How are you? Good morning, lads. How has this whole experience been for you? Um, I think it's like one of those things, George, you know, when you uh, agree to do something you were halfway through and you're kind of saying, why did I agree to do that? Um, <laughs> but, um, I'd say on Thursday, I'd be... I kind of have, uh, I suppose, one eye open, but look, you're obviously, you look forward to it. It's obviously, um, it's a nice thing to do. Um, you know, I know like Kieran did it there now as well, and, you know, they're, they're great shows, but obviously you're nervous well because, you know, you're, you're going to be getting a lot of, I suppose, opinions on the whole documentary. Uh, but look, at the same time, um, I suppose people get an insight into the person maybe outside of the jersey. I was going to say uh, the phone call comes from the producers of Lake Regale and you're like yeah oh absolutely oh that's amazing and then the next day you're like oh shit I have to talk about all the stuff I don't want to talk about <laughs> exactly yeah so I think it's like everything they're very good to, to draw you in to start and then there's that mentioning things are like alright uh, we put that in we leave that out but look I suppose after writing the book there wasn't much I could actually leave out but um, it was enjoyable during like first I think recording it was up in our sheep farming in Flesk and it was actually we were looking at the same day my brother was actually dosing the sheep I said it was funny I was in a pair of shorts and the top that you obviously wouldn't well, wear I, if you were I was going to say I was going <laughs> to say there's, I, so I, I've seen a good bit of it I haven't seen the whole thing but I've seen like I've seen about 40 minutes of the hour and the shot of you with your brother fully properly dressed for farming and you in <laughs> your, your tiny little white runners with the socks barely visible I'm not even sure if there were socks I was like that's not farming gear this guy's not a farmer <laughs> I said, what are the chances to land back to a white converse? And then he's, he's dosing sheep, and I said, ah, this isn't going to go down too well. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it, was, it was nice. Uh, look, that's, that's why I grew up. Um, my brother Noel um, obviously stayed on the farm, and uh, it was actually, it was kind of special to see that day. It's, it hasn't changed where all the neighbours kind of would come around and give you a hand to dose the sheep, and you would have to go and do theirs. It was like the bog. It was very similar, but uh, it was nice to get it in. It was actually very special to get it in, yeah. I did, because um, the the uh, narration, the voiceover at that point, talks about growing up in this rural idyll. And I do think that we kind of, we have this tendency to fetishise rural life as like being uh, amazing. But actually, it's really difficult. And rural isolation is a real thing. And... The importance of the GAA club for you growing up to uh, not just be on the farm running up the mountain all day, but actually to socialise you and the rest of um, the young men of rural Ireland is something I think is, is kind of it comes across a little bit in it. It was a release, yeah, because it, it would have been very easily, I think, growing up on the farm um, where everything comes about the farm, you know, as I said, after school, into the car, back to Glutlesk and you know, back then there was no tractors. You couldn't actually travel. If you got, um, like, if you got a good view of that place, you'd see the tractor can go up the fields and stuff. So everything that had to go up, whether it was timber or nuts or hay, had to be carried on your shoulders. So obviously the GA thing then was, like, as I always said, I, I wasn't one of those lads that wanted to be the next Mikey Sheehy or, you know, Bomber Lister and these guys. You know, I didn't even think they'd play football. 
But I think when you were young, you had a bike, you start traveling and we just started cycling to Rabeg and get involved on the rage and stuff. So it was kind of released well from that. But um, at the same time, look, where I grew up farming was a huge part of society and the community. It's funny, Aidan, because there's a lovely cinematic shot in the in the in the episode as well, and and you kind of think of the Cork Kerry rivalry and as something that ebbs and flows, and at times, certainly in the mid noughties it was it was quite heated, uh, maybe not so at the moment, but that that uh, that Blackwater Bridge that that separates Knockdegree and in, in Cork and your own parish in Rathmore, it it kind of highlights like you're one of those people who who lived very close to the Cork Kerry border, so the rivalry to you probably was always there. Yeah, and it was great. It actually made the, I suppose, the Kerry Park Derby is even more special when you're when you're living in the border. Um, I said the only worrying thing now is I have a nephew actually playing fullback from Cork with Cork from Not the Great. <laughs> He's on the other side of the border now, but uh, it's amazing how things uh, turn out. But like that, yeah, there were special days. Like I suppose for Atmore, there's a split between the two parishes and that massive divide. So. The May of the day is more special for us, obviously, with some tough days as well, having to go back to Ramore after losing. And like even Noel Alera there, I was talking to him last week. You know, you, you make unbelievable friendships out of it. Like, I was one of those players, like, yeah, I always played Nation and I wasn't everyone's cup of tea, but at the same time, once it stayed in the pitch, that was it for me. You know, we, we all had a job to do, we had a job to do for the team. And those Kerry Cork games, there was massive battles because I remember even under Conor Coonan, they were one of the greatest cock teams I've seen. Like, they were never beaten. I know, yeah, they won one on Ireland. But every year they kept coming back. They turned us over, but both from Parky, Cueve, you know, we didn't get beaten in Clarny, but they threw us, I think, once or twice. So we had some massive battles, and look, neither team took a step back from each other. I think there's a healthy respect from those both teams for each other then. Um, the, the team that you were part of, there was a wildness to you all coming through. Um, there was on the team yourself. <laughs> Galvin, uh, Tomas O'Shea, you never quite knew exactly what you were going to get as the opponent, but you knew that it was going to be fiercely fought and fiercely contested. I could only imagine what the training is like. Yeah, so I, like Jack, I think, had a good way about him as well, and he's a good way of kind of controlling this at the best of times. Um, I actually met him during the summer this year. I think he was kind of pinching himself with the group he is now. <laughs> so, um, but... So um, it was, look, everyone wants, like, I think, Joe, when you get in first with Kerry, it's about hanging in there and trying to get through the hard training and proving that you're you're worthy of being inside there. Then when, when you get through that part, it's about getting a jersey. And that was, that's no different to anyone in Kerry. Like that, there's a selfish element. You get through the hard training, get through the hard slog. Then you want a jersey. You want to be on that first 15. And you play to your strengths. And as I said, look, myself and Paul came in 2004 with Jack. We probably brought a different element. They'd have probably seen after 2003 with Tyrone. Look, Tomas, what can we say about Tomas? He's just one of the greatest footballers of all time. You know, and um, he was a leader in the dressing room as well when he spoke. Everything was articulate and, you know, it meant so much. So all these lads, I think, to grow up and play with them, you know, looking back now, it's it, it was amazing because they just had so many strengths. And yeah, look, there was... A wildness to us as well, like, but I suppose it was part of who we were. That um, that '98 All Ireland <laughs> semi final between Kerry and Kildare features as well. Aidan, I know that's you were playing on the minor team, I think, that day, and watching the senior game afterwards yeah. clearly left an indelible, indelible mark on you as well. Yeah, I, I came up to the, that uh, All Ireland semi final. I broke my nose a few weeks before it, the first time in Mini, um, and I missed out on the final, but got to play in 10 minutes in the All Ireland final, uh, I suppose as a young lady, you don't expect it, and then you're brought on. 
But just watching coming out after, um, <clears throat> it was exceptional. Like, it was like, you these kind of gladiators coming out through the, the tunnel and, uh, like, the conditioning of them and just, like, you could just see in their faces the emotion and what that whole thing meant. And something, like, definitely that day kind of stuck me saying, geez, I, I want some of that. But at the same time, I was kind of being realistic as well. I think I was number 21 or 22, so very minor, so... You look at that and you're kind of saying that's a long way off but look, that's I suppose for any young lad to kind of say that if you don't make underage and minors or under 20s and stuff it's not the end of the world you know there's always time to make it uh, and you end up being man of the match in an All-Ireland final uh, the one that I wanted to talk to you about though was the Donegal game um, where you've you've been a stalwart of the team an all-star and then you've come out of the team for various reasons, which we can get into. And then you're back in the team and you're tasked with the uh, the job of man-marking Michael Murphy in an All-Ireland final. Um, like if you, if you talk to anybody who knows anything about Ulster football, they would have Michael Murphy at the absolute apex of impact and talent and like character. You know, he's basically, there's him and Canavan are kind of the, the gods of, uh, they're definitely on Ulster football's Mount Rushmore. And um, and yet, I, I, there's no way you win that All Ireland without your performance that day. What's the build up to that like? What what's in your head? Like, how do you perfect what you're going to have to do, and how do you make peace with like your job is just to be the destroyer on the day? Yeah, so geez, destroyer is very hard word, John. And look for me, look, there was a story in this All Ireland. I think it was two years. My dad passed away in 2012, and uh, we buried him. We did a county challenge game at home and I made a promise to him that I'd get up the steps of the Hogan in his memory. And sometimes you make these uh, promises and they, they don't come true. And like the last conversation I had with him um, before he passed away was the my seven Denise were coming home from the All Ireland final and Donegal playing me up and he was speaking about Michael Murphy in the goal and he actually spoke about it in O'Shea as well. He was speaking about it to them and we didn't get to speak again. And I remember the way twenty fourteen unraveled 2013, I got a bad injury and I thought it was finished. And 2014, I was just hell-bent on fulfilling that promise. And then the way it unraveled, the semi-final, I got to Mark Aiden O'Shea. And then, lo and behold, Michael Murphy's there in the final. So all of a sudden, our phone call was popping up. And um, for me, that day, I was just... Uh, I, I put in a massive year, I suppose, work-wise, training-wise. Everything was done to see... Um, I was always one of those players that if we were training at half six, I'd be there for five o'clock. I loved walking out in the pitches of our stadium for maybe 20 minutes on my own. Um, I'd say the players thought I was mad, but that's who I was. I was always there then. Um, and then everything <clears throat> was based around that final. And the night before, Eamon had a great way about him where we had meetings and we, we just kind of looked promising. And I just said this, I'd mark my more field of the game. And I think I said it three times and it wasn't being an arrogance. I just kind of walked out the door half saying, why did you say that? You're putting way more pressure on yourself. And uh, look, the game just, look, Michael Murphy is, like for me, um, on the pitch and off the pitch, he's one of the top, top guys in the jail. Absolutely. I have so much respect for him. We had so many battles. Um, I remember being above Belly Buffet and all these places, like, and it's snowing. And I look at him saying, oh, God, he's the last guy I want to see come in top of me today. And that day, look, things just worked out for me. Um, you know, I was just. I suppose you're kind of driven insane to succeed and I knew myself that if I failed at my task I'd fail the team and like that's the kind of pressure you need to put yourself on in big games as you said you've all the work done I'd all that in my mind I was in a healthy place and it was just going out there and doing everything possible I suppose 
to mark him out of the game and um, just to play in his coaches and we were talking about the loops and let's get him on the ball and look, it all worked out fine when the rest were doing their job then like so I was only a small cog in that, that All-Ireland final but I still had that job to do and I was relishing it I suppose leading into the three weeks leading into it. The, the bit you talk about um, your dad in that like we listened to Roy McElroy yesterday talking about his battle was to not let the emotion of who he was fighting against prevent him from playing well. How do you how do you stop your grief from interfering and your desire not to let down your dad and the promise you made from actually? So how do you separate those two things? Use it as an inspiration, but equally not let it overawe you. Yeah, like I like I remember when I walked away in twenty ten went to Ashari, Like I was mentally in a weak and a bad place and I remember when my dad passed away in 2012 I think all those moments in 2010 helped me to I suppose get over it and to deal with it and I suppose to turn something where for me it was sport and my dad would keep all the clippings of games stuff but to turn something like that into a positive and then to go on a journey to, for him to repay him for all I suppose everything he'd given for me and all those years of cutting out pieces of papers and going to games and I said the biggest thing I could ever give to my dad was after we off games, um, you know, some, some people always say to me, sometimes he should give you a kick up the arse to see what you cop on. But he didn't. He said nothing. You know, he was a, a positive man. And that really, I suppose, <clears throat> was embraced by me. So in that 2014 final, it was very easy, I suppose, <clears throat> unattached myself from that promise because I had a job to do. Uh, and I knew that I wouldn't fulfill it unless I completed my job that day. So it was very easy to separate the two. There's an incredible scene where you're leafing through those scrapbooks. Uh, did you did you know that the scrapbooks existed, or did you only find out afterwards that he'd kept every every scrap of paper and every match report? Yeah, I knew he had, I suppose, um, some uh, paper and stuff like that, but I didn't know, I suppose, the extent of what he had collected. And like when he retired from work, uh, we were sitting in the front of our house, and I used to come home from the park and. <laughs> I'd have to go down to sit in my bedroom and uh, he'd be inside watching the games. You'd hear, you'd hear the matches about a mile down the road. He'd come up to the last and uh, he'd be watching watch all the games. It was like analysis before his time. And next, I hate watching the games, so he'd pause it when I come in. And I'd come in, he'd talk way about gamble training. And I'd go back up to the door again and I'd sit into the car next to hear the, the video near inside. So he loved it. it was part of his life, but just to get the scrapbooks and um, to see what amount of work he'd put in because I'd say he'd every bit of blue tack and glue in Ratmore bought, I'd say, to put in all that stuff into those scrapbooks. But um, they're amazing to look back on and he was an amazing man. Uh, in one of the one of the low points, and, and look, you speak very eloquently about your mental health struggles in the in the documentary as well, um, it was 2005, so after the All-Ireland final loss to Tyrone, and again, it's covered in the book. We have a copy of the book here in studio with us uh, today, if I can get in the shot there. Uh, unbroken. And that, and that that really is a word that, that, that springs to mind, because you failed the drugs test in 05 after the final, salbutamol, which was a banned substance, and then you get the therapeutic use exemption, because, of course, the, the your battles with asthma as well uh, as something that, that's covered heavily in the early part of the documentary, but that must have been... Post-2005 All-Ireland Final, quite a low point for you. Um, it was actually 08, Shane. 08, sorry, um, yeah, after the final. Yeah, so like, 
It was, but I think even leading up to those, even the diving incident and the asthma, I think, I think my mind was in a bad place and, a, um, and it wasn't even those incidents. It was, I suppose, not dealing with stuff, I suppose, coming through the years. And the, the asthma thing, yeah, it was, it was tough because I'm one of those people like kind of, I've a kind of a quiet nature and you grew up in that kind of a background. You don't know how to deal with these things. And it's very easy to kind of put on a show or a front for people because, as I'm always saying, when I played with Kerry, you played in the edge and you played in the line. And, you know, you, you see, you think that you need to show that to people as well, that you're not where I look back now and say, I respect for myself what I did and I respect my family for, I suppose, backing me. And, you know, when I was in that mindset back then, I was saying, geez, if I, if I do this, if I do that, I'd be, it'd be shown as a weakness. <clears throat> and then the inheritor thing came along and it, it kind of flattened me because it, it went on for four months. Um, I lost total form in football and he, I actually had much interest in the GA at the time then. And then it showed in 2009, um, you know, I got dropped from the championship after the month's final. And it went from one to the other. And when you're in that kind of mindset, you're kind of saying, geez, why me? Why are all these things happening? And um, I couldn't tease them things out back then. And as I said, 2010, I just had to step away from it. I remember going out after games and you're out socialising and you're crying because all these emotions are coming up and you're not enjoying life and stuff like that. And uh, it comes to it. And as I said, and we spoke about my dad there, um, the morning I went to Ashley, like my dad was at the kitchen table crying and for a man of his generation to be like that and to show those emotions just showed me that the position or the place I was in at the time. And um, I think reflecting back on the book and on Lake Regale, that was the hardest thing for me. Um, I suppose reliving that and probably saying to myself, how do you let, you let yourself get to that position? But at the same time, I suppose I kind of have to give myself some of the kudos for coming out the other side of it and not going down a path that, you know, I didn't know where I was going to go. What's the turning point for getting out of that? <clears throat> uh, the turning point is just, I suppose, dropping your barrier or dropping your guard and getting help. And I suppose we've great now team sports psychology is so important. And um, I do courses there through Kerry J and... Um, you just see the importance of what these people bring to groups and panels. And I know we, we had sports psychology back then. I didn't use it because I thought I was involved that and stuff. And then I wasn't dealing with all these things. And I was letting them snowball and, um, you know, I was turning my life upside down. As I said at the time, I wasn't a nice person to be around. I was distant from my family, but I was just continuing life. Like, there was no, it was no different. So, like, your turning point is just being able to communicate with people. And I think, you know, we did a seminar there a couple of weeks ago, Tony Griffin. It was just fantastic to see someone just uh, <clears throat> just drop everything and talk about themselves because it makes you more open as well. And I can see now from uh, a football side or uh, a sports side that if you have a team of people that, that you know about, you know like what they've done or what they've accomplished or what they've gone through, then you're more open to them as well. And when you want to pitch in, you're back with your life. That's the, the fundamental part of this for me, Aidan, is that... Uh, you might even have been an even better footballer than the multiple All-Ireland winner, All-Star, Man of the Match in the All-Ireland Final if you discovered this as a 16-year-old. Like, I, I, you know, I, that came out wrong, but like, I guess what I'm saying is that no, no. Y- yeah. you, didn't have to, you didn't have to have that anger to be the player you were. Like, if you, if you listen to Wayne Rooney now, for example, he talks about his anger management problems and they caused him 
uh, even more achievements than he already had. And when that's somebody at that ultra high level, and you're at the, like a similar level in GAA, where your your desire is to win all Ireland and you can do it, and your desire is to help your teammates be Player of the Year and you can do it, that like we probably need a bit of a culture shift to get to the point where you don't need to be angry all the time to be your best. No, but I suppose you need to. You need to have players. I always say this. I think it's a, it's a good way of putting some of this in before. You need fellas in the pitch to, to do the dirty work for the rest of them to shine. <laughs> so I probably look at it that way, George. Uh, but no, like I, I think you're right in two ways. That like for me, um, I, I hadn't in my mind to play football at an elite level growing up or at 15 and 16 years of age. I was getting more fun out of soccer. Um, I love soccer. Um, I have no problem saying that. And I just think the way things happen, I think everything happens in life for a reason, Jerk. And I think I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, look, we regrets. You deal with them, you tease them out, and you see why did it happen. <clears throat> and you need to move on. Like life is precious. I know my circle. I have two kids at home, three and a half, five and a half. Um, I got into hurling management to just to to really put, put another, I suppose, challenge in front of me. And you know, that's the importance. The importance is your family and your sporting career is your sporting career. And you look back and say, yeah, you know, I, my challenge is there. Um, you know, I gave what I could for the Kerry jersey. And I, and I, I genuinely did. So I, like, as I say, blood, sweat and tears. Um, I knew that when I drawn that jersey, there's an onus on you that every day you go out, um, you're expected to win. And I'm always saying it's not an arrogance down here. It's what's expected if you if you don't win all earns. Um, it's seen as a failure and it's a good thing in life as well because it put, it makes you I suppose <clears throat> it makes you more driven and whatever you put your mind in after you finish your sporting career like I'm in the fitness business now I need my work as a community policing in Tralee like it's important for me to be open when I get to schools and talk to people and I think people can be more open with me than, than as well especially young people that they're not thinking of any uh, five-time all winner or walking in the gate saying oh sure it's fine for him he had a great sporting career and you know, what would he know about mental health or, you know, going through a tough time? So I think I, I wouldn't change anything, Joe. I think your sporting career is more than medals. Like I look at like Salih Keegan and all these guys, they had amazing sporting careers and they live amazing memories. And you don't need a medal um, to, you don't need to have a medal on your, I suppose, placard inside your house to, to know what you've done in your career. 100%. And great stuff. Congratulations on the Lake Gale. Enjoy it as much as you can on Thursday evening. It's great. Cheers. Said no manny there, giving us some thoughts on uh, his Laker Gale, which airs on TG Car on Thursday evening. It is 8.28, a little bit later than uh, planned. But I'm delighted to say we've got Phoebe Schechter with us to talk about the NFL weekend that just was. Phoebe, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. How are you both doing? Uh, I guess you're a bit sleep deprived um, staying up all night <laughs> to cover the second of the championship games. <laughs> yeah, we're still working on that. I think we... Goodness, I think we finished maybe or got back to the house around like four, four thirty in the morning. So, you know, but we luckily we had prepped the weekend before by doing the three games. So this was like a walk in the park, really. <laughs> That's the the one uh, caveat to the NFL taking over the entire world is that it's very difficult for us in this part of the world to watch those games. Yeah, absolutely. I think that might be a, a hindrance to why some NFL fans don't get involved. But, I mean, luckily, that's why things like Game Pass and the Red Zone, all of that makes it so exciting. Because you can just get all the highlights punched into a five-minute or 40-minute little bucket. Um, Phoebe, let's start with the Philadelphia Eagles because um, their performance was spectacular. And I think a lot has been made of the difficulties that the Niners had uh, at quarterback, and, and rightly so. But 
the the two injuries that they got at the weekend were as a result of incredible play by the Eagles. And once you take that and start thinking in in those terms, it's like it's hard to have too much sympathy for the Niners. I'm a Niners fan, so I know it's uh, difficult <laughs> for me to say that. But the Eagles were absolutely dominant from start to finish. Yeah, and what I love about the Eagles is they have this kind of way about them. They are just physical, right? You look at what they did to the Giants a couple weeks ago. They will run all over you. They're not going to hold back. And that is becoming their identity. There was a, a video about Jalen Hurts talking to the team going into, yes, well, yes, the other day's game. And he just said, look, guys, we don't need to change anything about who we are. We're great how we are. Just increase that standard a little bit. And I think when you've got someone, he doesn't get too hyped. He just kind of goes along with the flow, quite steady with it. But they have this, like, dog mentality. And, I mean, they just got after him, right, on both sides of the ball. Hassan Reddick was incredible. I mean, he's had a game. And I think he was kind of sparked by the fact that on the other side of the ball, you have Nick Bosa, who is technically being said that he's a better player than Reddick and, and only just out-sacked Reddick by, I think it was two sacks. And I think Hassan Reddick had a, a point to make. But the way that the Eagles ran the football. And when you've got so many threats, Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott. I mean, you're going to get exhausted. You're going to get beat down. And they love that. <laughs> it wouldn't have had an impact, Phoebe, on the result whatsoever. But early on, there's controversy when Devonta Smith makes that one-handed catch, uh, which was incredible at, at the time. But I mean, had the, had the 49ers reviewed it, it would have been incomplete. And it's easy to say that in hindsight. Look, it wouldn't have changed the result. But it was certainly a moment that stood out. Big time. I mean, that was a massive play. Everyone saw it. And I know, you know, Shanahan said he didn't see the replay on the screen. But Devontae Smith, if you see him, he's going like this. And that is one of their signals that means, hey, look, I don't know if that was a catch. We got to get lined up, get a play run really quickly. And so you have to have some awareness as a coach. And I think for the 49ers, they've been around this for a long time. That would have been an easy challenge for them, especially to be honest, if you know a team is going quick like that, you got to think, hmm, maybe they don't believe in them, believe in it themselves that it was successful. But one amazing grab that was, and, and it really did change the game because it was it was tight all the way through. Uh, is there is there just a little bit with this Niners team where something is missing? Like, notwithstanding the injuries to the quarterbacks, right? But um, they did all get injured on plays, uh, particularly <clears throat> the early one, Trey Lance gets injured running up the centre and uh, funnily enough, a big guy falls on him. Who would have thought that maybe that might happen? Uh, their offensive line couldn't protect the quarterbacks at the weekend. Like for all of the genius of Kyle Shanahan, is there just a little wrinkle there that you think something, somebody somewhere needs to say, hang on, do we need to approach this team building in a slightly different way? You know, I think the 49ers have done a really great job. And I really I really felt for them. I, You know, they've been winning. They have, and we've all said it, the most complete football team. Offense, defense, special teams. I just think, I don't know how you get so unlucky that you are, you you not only have midseason, you've lost the kid you, tra- you, you wanted. You then lose Jimmy G. Then you lose Brock Purdy, and then you lose your backup to the backup to the backup. I mean, that just isn't something that happens. It is it is a freak accident. I think maybe the thing that might be looked at is when when we've changed these rules for quarterbacks. You know, the not hitting them late. Well, not 
hitting them like that, you see a lot more of these defenders going for the hand because that's where you're going to try and get the ball loose and all of that. But now you're putting the quarterback in an even more compromised mission and, and specifically where their injury is most severe, right? I mean, that's only a small limb. So the Hassan Reddick one, you saw him come through, get stuck on Brock Purdy's arm, and that's where he's really done this. And I don't know if you've seen it. I mean, it's six months he's going to be out now, this young quarterback. Yeah, it's a massive setback to him and to his career. And so they more than likely will look somewhere else in the summer, or there's a good chance they will. To, to move on to what you expect from the Eagles in the Super Bowl then, uh, is there any change? Is there anything else that you will expect them to add as a wrinkle um, when they're coming up against the Kansas City Chiefs? Because obviously they have yet to face uh, Patrick Mahomes' level QB as they have reached this point in the season. It's not the full Patrick Mahomes, obviously, because he is definitely somewhat hindered by the high ankle sprain. So um, what what will they have ready for him, do you think? You know, I think it has. it's really going to be a battle of the coaches, you know, anytime that you go up against Andy Reid, you have to be thinking so creatively and kind of be ready for anything because we've seen some of the madness and amazingness that, that Andy Reid has brought to the table, whether we're talking about all of them in a big circle together and then running out, you know, sort of distracted Mahomes walking off, direct snaps to other people. So I think what, he, what they're able to do is is make your defense work for every single snap, but more from a mentality perspective. And, and then vice versa, you know, we didn't see Jalen Hurts run as much as we potentially have in the past. And I know he's still recovering from that shoulder injury. Uh, but one of the things I think said a lot was there was a hit in that game last weekend. And it, and it, it looked like it hurt, to be honest. It would have hurt me for sure. But then he gets up and he runs the ball again. So I think that's more of a statement from him saying, I'm fine. So I think we might see him running the ball a bit more because when he uses that kind of run pass option, he makes it so challenging on a defense. I guess also in the media, Phoebe, we often make a lot of out of different strands when it comes to a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, having Jason and Travis Kelsey, the first brothers to face off in a Super Bowl is interesting. It nearly more interesting to me is, is Nick Sirianni and Andy Reid's history. The fact that when Andy Reid comes into the Chiefs, he lets go of, of Nick Sirianni as a coach. Uh, so there's a lot of strands there. And Nick Sirianni is someone who deserves a lot of credit here for how the Eagles have, have picked up. Big time, big time. And I think one of the things I love about how Nick Sirianni is taking on the Eagles is he's let go of the play calling roles. He's come in and he's really managing the game. He's managing the players. And that's been really great for him. And, you know, Andy Reid has a massive coaching tree. You know, you're talking about Coach McDermott, Harbaugh, Ron Rivera, like the list goes on and on and on. So for him to let go of Nick Sirianni, I think, is always quite an interesting move. And and curious, really, you know, what he saw, what he didn't see to be in this situation. But, look, coaches know you get fired. But I think there's always a PCU that thinks, mm, <laughs> I'm going to get you back for that. <laughs> and what a better place to do it than in the Super Bowl. <laughs> how, can, how can they get at the Eagles, um, the Chiefs? Like we know, like Patrick Mahomes is an obvious example of someone who can probably find those those weak points. But the Eagles' discipline against the 49ers was just there in spades. Um, picked up lots of yards because of mistakes and discipline from the 49ers. So how can the Chiefs get at them? What are the weak points in that Eagles team? Yeah, I think you're having to look. I mean, if we're looking from offensive perspective on the Chiefs' behalf, I, they've not been against a team that can get those yards after catch the way they do. 
Um, obviously, look at Kelsey, his ability to find space in the zone. He is so talented. He is one of the most elite tight ends that we've ever seen or or receivers in terms of being able to find that space, find that zone. Um, so I think looking at him, Pacheco has been such a hard runner. I, I, you know, he got injured a little bit at the end of the game. So I hope if he's able to come out there and wear down that defense, but utilize the aggression of Hassan Reddick against himself, you know, whether you're running the ball at him, because once you kind of take the wind out of his sails like that, you can use it. So he almost flies by. Uh, um, so, and then if you're looking at it from, I guess, Jalen Hurts or, or from that defensive perspective, trying to keep Hurts in the pocket is going to be key. Uh, he is a guy that wants to get out. You'll have to have a spy on him, you know, one of the defenders to basically just watch him the whole time. So I, I think there's a couple of different things. A lot of it depends on how Mahomes is feeling, limping off the field. If you get the beginning, if you can get like the old Mahomes, you know, maybe even the first half of the game yesterday, uh, the other day, I don't even know what day of the week it is, but mm-hmm. whenever that game happened, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> the uh, the owners all lobbied really hard for the 17th uh, game in the regular season. And, you know, it feels like, uh, oh, that makes perfect sense. Let's just keep expanding. But the difficulty with this is that we're now getting the teams in the final game of the season. And if you look at the Chiefs roster in particular, like Kelsey was a last minute, he's good to go because he had back spasms during the week. A load of their receivers during the game fell apart. Mahomes is on one leg. Jalen Hurts is kind of on one leg. And a lot of their players are, are carrying bumps and bruises as well. It's not It's not like there's no consequences for having the extended season. The players are getting so injured and so banged up that maybe we don't end up seeing the all-time classic that we should do. When, when you list the, the players on both sides, this could easily be a 35-33 Super Bowl. But it's more than likely going to be 21-18 or 19-16. Yeah, spot on. I'm definitely worried for the Chiefs and and their lack of a receiving core. I mean, the fact they were able to win that game with who they had was unbelievable. Um, And I think there is that element to it. I mean, it's a long season when you're in it. And when you think back to week one in Miami versus the Patriots, I mean, that seems like a lifetime ago. And, And I know they tried to do it so that they've got a shorter preseason, but nobody really plays none of the starters really play in the preseason anyway. So it doesn't really alleviate the stress on them. Um, And, you know, the reason for doing the longer season was really to allow for having more international games. So it's a bit of a conundrum because a, I don't see them going back, but I think there has to be a way that you can alleviate some of this physical stress. Um, Because even thinking about it, the players aren't even allowed to tackle in the off season. So it's not even like they're having that physical wear down happening. This is all just stress from being in the season. So I, I spot on agree with you. Do you have a feeling yet about who you're going to pick for the final? <laughs> ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, you know what? I really, I actually really like the Eagles. I think it'd be amazing to see the chiefs like storybook. If they're able to pull it out. But um, no, I really like the Eagles. I like I like what they've been doing. They've been just building, consistent. And I just think Jalen Hurts, he is the healthier quarterback and he can really, really stress a defense. So that's, that's my thought. <laughs> Phoebe, great to have you with us. Thanks a million for making the time for us. 
Thanks so much for having me. That's uh, Phoebe Schachter there, part of Sky Sports coverage of the Super Bowl in two weeks' time. It's in Arizona. Does that? But it, it does, is it a consistent still start time? Is, yeah, it'll still be eleven forty-five. Yeah, so it's still a late one. <laughs> Will you stay up? Uh, I've tried that. Can't do it. Mm. I tried. What happened last year was I was like, oh, I'm going to record this and get up at five. So I got up at five. Mm. And unfortunately, the way my sky recorded, I came down and it didn't start at the start. So I saw Tom Brady on the pitch. And I was like, oh, this two years gone now, obviously. I was like, <laughs> so that didn't Spoiler. work either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you got to. See, you can have the, the afternoon nap on the Monday. day off. Well, yeah, there, there is that option. But yeah, it's a late one. Uh, OTBIM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It is 8.41. Uh, we still have Derek McNamara to preview the Six Nations for us. We have deal or no deal as the transfer deadline ticks down at 11 o'clock tonight, of course. And uh, we'll play out some Kevin Kilbane goodness uh, reflecting on the new Everton era. Carl Milani is with us. Carl, good morning to you. Hello, lads. How How's are you? Going? All good, all good. Uh, the clock isn't just ticking down on transfer deadline day. The clock is ticking down on what miraculous fudge the GA can come up with for the from the CCCC to make sure that oh, yeah. everybody goes away happy but everybody goes away slightly displeased. Midday. Yeah. Is that, do we know is there an exact time? I think lunchtime is, is yeah. the word that the, the teams are expecting to hear at that stage so I really I don't know what's going to happen I have to say I really don't. Apparently the decision is going to be communicated to the two clubs before noon. Simultaneously? You'd imagine so. Mm. Uh, a, lot, a lot was made in the meeting yesterday apparently about the referees Involved or the the officials involvement in the substitutions? That's what, uh, that's what, what that Croaks have been saying from the start that it was the referees' fault, nothing to do with them. Mm. They don't have to have fifteen men on the field playing if they've yeah. got more than that. It's up to the referees. Well, Colin Keyes reporting yesterday, it's, or last late last night, it still seems to be the case that Kilmacud are mm. reluctant to play a replay if that's the option of the three yeah, that is picked. I think I saw a line in one of the papers this morning that in Glen the appetite for a replay maybe has subsided a little bit. I mean, it's it's amazing how it has ebbed and flowed in the last week or over a week now like I mean Connor Glass and Ethan Doherty played for Jerry at the weekend <laughs> yeah. so like it's moved on that much where do you fit in a replay uh, players away on holidays there's weddings happening as well it's Realistic just such a know, messy it's, situation it's, Paddy, it's Paddy's day isn't it or it's it's yeah it's not in the next week or two put it that way well you have to give them adequate preparation time as well um, it's just such a messy situation I really I don't know what's going to happen but um, you know it's such isn't a, it, such it's a, a lose lose it's, it's actually tainted no matter what way it goes now well, I, I definitely think it's tainted if you win All-Ireland with 16 men on the field. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, fair play, extra man, 16th man. That's... I I also think unless they do something, then other teams are going to look at this and go, well, yeah, what's the, what's the repercussion for this? Yeah. yeah, I think there has to be a legacy from it in terms of maybe a slight rule change where it's more like soccer substitutions where the player has to come to the sideline and there's a definite change where you can see... won't have that, though. Do you not think dinosaurs in the GA wouldn't want anything to do with soccer? Oh, that is that similar to soccer? Ah, oh, we won't be doing that. Not a chance. Anything, anything that makes sense. I wonder, is there like uh, you know volleyball or ice hockey? Oh, ice hockey, yeah, yeah. Subs. Is, there, is there some other sport that, that doesn't exactly get, like yeah. soccer? What in in the AFL? How do they how do they fix it? That's a good question. They're, they're our friends. We yeah. can we can look at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the way. I guess the the substitution thing though is kind of iconic in the GA where you have someone coming back from injury or out of retirement or a big name coming onto the field and an explosion of a roar yeah, yeah uh, running onto or clattering in with a shoulder when you get into the pitch but uh, there has to be I think there will be some sort of change maybe in that regard just to make it a little bit easier on everybody because it is difficult on officials as well when you've a guy trying to race in from the sideline and you know it can be quite frantic mm-hmm. but um, 
I don't know. I really don't know what they're going to do today. I really don't know. Uh, I think some kind of fudge has been worked out in the background where they'll order a replay and Glenn will, will turn it down. That's what I think is, is like, the, they'll, they'll, and, you know, however, however that happens, however... It's appointing, like, Glenn that gets manufactured. Why would Glenn bother showing up to Croke Park yesterday to, to, to show their case or present well, their I think case? That, I think that, because somebody has to take a stand when, like, when... A, a, an injustice happens you have to stand up against it mm. like the whole kind of oh, nothing to do with us mentality in Irish life generally is like say whatever you say say nothing for fear that it might yeah, but somehow sorry, but it's not it, in my in my opinion you're not standing up to, to it by just sending a representative to Croke Park and fighting your case you're, you have to stand up to it by accepting a replay and playing the replay that's how, that's how you stand up to it and hopefully win the replay from their perspective and win an All-Ireland Club Championship because as, as Damien Cassidy said you mightn't get another chance that's how you stand up to to this. You don't just you don't just send a person to Croke Park and make your case and then say, "Okay, we've got the option of a replay. We're going to turn it down." If you get the option of a replay, you take it, one hundred percent. I mean, I, I, I would be flabbergasted at Glen if they didn't accept a replay if it was offered to them. Do you know? I, I understand Kim McCud's distaste for a replay because they have the trophy, they've had their celebrations. Completely understand why they wouldn't want a replay, but I, I can't I can't see why Glen wouldn't take a replay. In a couple, of, you know, give them time to prep for it. Give both teams time to prep for it. Uh, maybe do it in St Patrick's Day or whenever. But um, Jesus, I really hope they don't turn it down. You know, if a, re- if a replay is offered, you have to play it. Both teams have to play it. Otherwise, yeah. it's definitely tainted. Yeah, I think Glenn, whatever way it goes, will be a big contender again next season. Uh, yeah. They've got a really good age profile, and if Manica Rourke stays around, I think they, they will be a huge. But there's contender no guarantees. Again, but, but there's no guarantee. No, you're right, and especially really coming through the Ulster like club, the, uh, the, the Derry Championship, like yeah. You oh. know? Yeah, they'll have uh, a big bullseye on their back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Kilmacud are going to be here forever. That that one we can be sure of. Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. Well, Shane Walsh is what age? He's prime. Yeah, I got you see the likes of like Rob Henley making a move to to Rohini this week as well, which snuck completely under the radar. But I guess when it's as someone said in the office yesterday, when it's not a super club or it's a slightly smaller club in Dublin, and it's not Shane Walsh making the moves, then it kind of sneaks under the radar. But. Um, yeah, these these switches do happen all the time, and Jack McCarran's switch in Monaghan is the one that's, I mean, causing a lot of consternation in the county. The, the, I think within a county, when there's a, when there's a switch, it's even more controversial. I, I I don't have any problem with any players moving. Like I I really don't. I think everybody has to accept that uh, people move in life, and uh, being a prisoner of the fact that your parents conceived and gave birth to you in one particular small green field of the country should not prevent you from ever living in another green field and playing for that team and setting down roots I don't I don't have any problem with that whatsoever and I, that's not part of uh, this story for me for me it's like uh, if you've got too many men on the field of play yeah. then you can't that can't stand that's a very straightforward it can't stand and I do think that if they'd come out and offered a replay immediately afterwards Glenn would have said no thanks very much and we would have all moved on and we went, oh that was very magnanimous of that but there's been no magnanimity and there's been no leadership shown and they can complain all they want about people calling them out but them's the breaks um, anyway today's the day we find out who says what and who That's thinks the, what the thing is there could be appeals oh, yeah. to today's decision so but it could drag on if there's central council and then it's what DRA I'd say you're going I, don't, I actually don't know after the CCC there's something I, I think it goes to the, the central, central appeals council. committee and yeah. then possibly the, CSE, the DRA That's it. CSE and then and the DRC, DRC. Yeah. or yeah. DRA sorry so uh, you've got to assume that um, 
like certainly the the legal argument will be made. Um, and so like a, the German Connolly red card in 2017 went to the was it 2017 went to the DRA. So this could drag on right up to the dispute re- resolution. Like there's there's no distinction that it will end today, but we'll at least find out maybe what Lenny Kilmer could think of the whole thing uh, today. Yeah, the only way that it goes further is Kilmacud saying they're going to send the cup up the road. That's the one that's done the done the rounds on social media <laughs> and WhatsApp is like, oh, we send the cup up the road to them, but they haven't said that publicly. Ugh. You know, like that whole, oh, we've been say we can't we can't talk publicly. They could have talked publicly. I like, like the idea of like a taxi of them just throwing the the trophy into a taxi in in in, in Stalorgan and sending it up to Mahara. I like, I mean, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Take it up there and just the taxi man. Dumping it at the clubhouse, just it'd throwing be, it out the door. It'd be content. Yeah. <laughs> it'd, it'd do the views on TikTok. Yeah. Let them uh, right. We should talk about um, uh, Shane Larry needs a new caddy. Yes. Bo Martin is uh, no longer Shane Larry's caddy. Interesting story on the back of the Independent this morning, yeah, from Brian Keogh. Surprise, I would say. I mean, it's only uh, eight or nine days ago that Larry was in contention and didn't go well in the final round, didn't have a great week this week. They're kind of an iconic pairing, aren't they, after the Open Championship at Portrush, yeah. where they partnered together and had such a huge victory. And I think Lowry, in fairness to him, after that was full of praise of uh, for his caddy. So it's a surprise. I'm not sure. It didn't feel like Lowry needed such a significant reboot, if you like. Um, he hadn't been playing terribly. but um, he, talked about, he talked about hoping that the, the B&I versus Europe, the Sevi Hero Cup, yeah. yeah. Um, that seemed to have a bigger impact than... Because he talked about hoping that this wouldn't have a negative impact on him for the rest of the season. And then he played well for three and a half days, it seemed, at Abu Dhabi. Yep. But maybe that final round, and then this week, and it yeah, just, just it, reached a natural conclusion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe these relationships do reach a, a natural conclusion, as you say. Um, it's very intimate. Like they, yeah. they're, Wasn't there the Masters third round last year when was it a missed clubbing and... That's Larry right. wasn't happy, whatever. Yeah, you see these kind of confrontations. Harsh words time. used. Yeah. I Maybe that was the beginning of the end. Potentially. Yeah. Like, but then they won and went right after that, right? Correct. Yeah, and yeah. Larry's brother has caddied for him uh, on occasion. I wonder, will, will he step into the role now? But it is a big year for Larry. I mean, he's spoken so much about the Ryder Cup and how central that is to what he wants to do, like even and above major championships on his own bat. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who he gets in and... Um, he, he will want to play a very central role in that Ryder Cup team so let's hope his, his form keeps on a similar trajectory but obviously after Rory yesterday right. and start of the year Anything else going on? Uh, we've got the Carabao Cup semi-final uh, tonight between Newcastle and Southampton Newcastle 1-0 up uh, heading into the second leg of that that's at St James's Park tonight there's a game in the FA Cup as well Birmingham and Blackburn in their fourth round replay 7.45 uh, kick off for that one all right, good stuff, Carl. Thanks for leaving that. Cheers. Uh, stay tuned to uh, the various radio stations that we broadcast sports news on, so Today FM and uh, News Talk and 98 FM, and we'll keep you up to date with uh, what the CCCC do mm. and how close to the end. This is the end of the beginning. This is not the beginning of the end. Yeah, I think like my mum was saying to me over the weekend, would you ever stop talking about that, that Len Kilmacud stuff? But it, people wanted to talk about it last week. I think it's going to come back. We, we, the, the Allianz Leagues were a nice breather. Took us away from it for a little bit. Yeah. But today's decision, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm also on Team Croaks. I'm like, what? <laughs> 8.53 this morning. Uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Up next, Derek McNamara from reactrugby.com breaks down the numbers ahead of the Six Nations. First, here's Gordon Darcy talking with Adrian on last night's show. Back after this. 
when you say you uh, didn't agree with the feedback that was coming from the coaches, sorry, you didn't like it. Did you disagree yeah. with it? No. Right. So it was just kind of, it was oh, quite was an it? odd conversation I had with Joe Schmidt one day and it was like, oh, listen, you know, you're not, you're not in the match day 23. Or sorry, you're, not in the, you're on the bench. And I was like, okay, why? He said, oh, you're not playing particularly well. And I said, okay, who's starting? He said he was starting. By the way, I'm not going to tell you who's, who was starting. It's irrelevant. Um, and I said, well, I'm still probably playing better than they are. And he said, yeah, but they're, they're, they're playing closer to 100% than you are. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, that stings. Um, and was there kind of going, you know, sorry, I just kind of said like, oh, well, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm playing. I still reckon I'm better than them. He said, yeah, I wouldn't. He said, I wouldn't disagree with that. And I was like, okay, well, why am I not starting? He said, well, they're playing closer to 100%. I was like, okay, sure. So I know also the two young lads that were picked ahead of me, he was saying to them, show me that lads over the hill and uh, I'll pick you again. So he's creating that environment for healthy, uh, healthy competition, you know, and that was a rocket up my arse that I needed. And I kind of make a few adjustments, come back and I hit actually a pretty good run of of form. And that team benefits from it, Joe's, you know, pull the strings in behind and yeah. I've uh, I got my finger out of my arse. He's sitting back looking like a genius. He's like, ah, yeah, exactly. The brilliant thing I did. Look, look at this but guy. Look at the thing is, but, but that's the bit that, and this is, like, you swing it back to Warren Gatlin and that's what he's capable of with players and, you know, he's taken the captaincy, he's not giving it, not not laying on the se- uh, sentimentality of it. Alan Wynne-Jones is in the squad, but he's gone with Ken Owens. You know, he's looking at guys like Tabiric and he's going to give young lads their chance and give them their head and he's going to set them up up here to play and to and to play at home. Yeah, you can get that full stuff. Uh, subscribe to the OTB Rugby feed wherever you get your podcasts or on the OTB Sports app and uh, you will be able to hear the full episode of that interview with Gordon Darcy. Now, Derek McNamara from reactrugby.com is with us to uh, help preview the Six Nations. Derek, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks very much. The uh, the birds are beginning to sing. The days are getting a little bit longer. Yeah. It must mean Six Nations time. So <laughs> It's still bright at five o'clock in the evening. Yes, yes, just about. Just that's, about. That's it now. <laughs> Not until next November will it be dark at five o'clock in the evening again. Uh, so yeah, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Six Nations is upon us. Yeah. And uh, Warren Gatlin coming back is is like a li- an interesting little wrinkle. Their best players being fit is a bigger wrinkle. And... Um, You've, you've been crunching the numbers yeah. to, to rank the teams. Yeah, so I guess the, the the way of looking at it is, in reality, there's so much going on in the games that it's very hard for us to kind of break down specifically what is right and what is wrong and happening in the game. So that's where we come in. And we come in to try and simplify the game and try and have it a little bit more digestible for clubs, teams, coaches, and fans at home. So, you know, we're trying to help the, 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 the general people at home understand why certain team is better than the other. So when we have, uh, basically, when we look at the kind of four major kind of skill sets in attack, we look at carrying, rucking, and passing. Um, and when we break them down and we look at everything pulled together, we can then rank and grade those those teams. So um, in this instance, we have, a, we have a slide here. So basically, Ireland, as you'd imagine, was ranked number one overall, but ranked number two in carrying, ranked number three in rucking, and ranked number three in passing. And what that means is, is basically we take, say, passing, we, we break it down into three sections. There's everybody else's passes, there's passes from hand, which is your 10, and passes from the ground. And say passes from the ground, we look at uh, the accuracy of the pass, discrepancy between passing left and right, distance, um, speed to breakdown, speed of pass, all of these things we pull together and we then you know rank them. And then we also take the opposition's, uh, the level of opposition you're playing against. 
we all throw that into the system and basically it gives us these grades uh, 0 to 100 um, allowing us to identify if a team's getting better or worse based on all of that information so when we when we throw all that information together we can see that Ireland are on top we have a lot of people who are, are listeners to this yeah. not viewers so just <laughs> yeah. give us give us the figures will you yeah yeah so Ireland are ranked uh, overall grade of 80, 84.1 um, and our highest grade would be our rooking grade of a 90.3 so that means that you know we're we're higher than um, you know our, our accuracy, our decision making, our ability to get to the breakdown first is ranked number three overall. But then we look at Wales, and Wales carrying is ranked fifth. So that means they're not running onto the ball as quickly. They're not um, breaking as many tackles. They're not getting over the game line as much. But their rooking is is ranked number one. So that's something that we can kind of keep an eye out for this week. Which is are they are they maintaining that? Uh, level of uh, rooking. rooking and are they improving based on their carrying and their rook and their passing so they're passing their ranked fifth and they're carrying their ranked fifth so this is useful for uh, the coaching tickets to go and look at this and go well if we maintain this and improve this we're going to see a quantum leap forward really quickly because this is the one thing one element of our game that's really chronically letting us down and if you're in a team meeting you're going that's yeah. all we got to do is fix this and away we go <laughs> yeah like they have an idea about it like these coaches have got to where they are because they have instincts and they're a really good people person and they're you know they've gone through the they're in the, the background and they've probably played at a high level sure all these things together but if you're coming into a, a new mm. if you're coming into the environment cold a little yeah. bit like Gatlin I mean obviously Gatlin has watched everything but uh, what are the chronic things <clears throat> that we need to fix urgently yeah. um, stuff like this could be useful Exactly, 100%. And that's that's fundamentally where it came from. I, I was a coach at a lower league level um, and I wanted to understand why my team was getting better or worse, you know, and I had no physical way of doing that. Or So that's that's where this whole thing has come from and that's exactly the reason why it's here is so that we can now measure Wales throughout the, the Six Nations and measure them to see whether or not they've gotten better or worse based on the, the teams that they're playing against. A bit of consistency in terms of attacking skills from Ireland there. Like when you look at the other teams at least you know, were second in carrying third in rucking and as you say third in passing like some of the other teams like Wales ranked top for rucking but they're not quite as high in the other, in the other two disciplines so yeah, yeah, at yeah. least you can look at it and say there's a bit of continuity there with Ireland's stats yeah, and that's that comes from the level of performance that they have at the you know there's they've far more players that can play at international level Ireland you know and mm. it's that consistency as well obviously the amount of Leinster players that they have in the team allows them to play at a consistent level and also that the you know the, the coaching staff have done a great job you know you got to put your hands up and say you know the world number one at the moment you got to say you know that they've they've been able to be consistent and also the the thing that kind of if you were to look at these these stats before we kind of eat or normalise them is what they're, what it's called, but basically before we look, take the, the difference between the opposition, once we apply the opposition, Ireland played against the, the the best teams in the world over the last six months, and yet they're still number one. Mm. So that's something that we got, you know we you know need to think of. That's context. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. But again, the, the one thing we we want to make sure and is is that we're gonna get injuries. You know what I mean? So and we're gonna. I know you want to get on to Sexton, I'm sure. <laughs> but like when, when you look at the actual performance of the teams and you look at the way in which we play, there's less of a dependency on specific players to play the way we're playing. And that's, that's what we're trying to do as well from an analytical perspective is, is help teams understand that you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, depend on one specific player or position or skill set. Or always pick what is perceived to be your strongest team because other individuals can plug in if... 
if enough of the individuals. Exactly. If you don't, if you don't make too many changes. Yeah, and that, that's something that England really struggled with. You know, not not just the fact that they were picking, they weren't picking their best players. The, the consistency of those players were, was really, really poor. So, like, if, if we could, we could like, this is just a very high set yeah. of the data. But if we were to, you know, zoom into the data, you'll see that the performance of England is way up and down, which means that they didn't know what they're doing. You know, as as a team. The one thing about the Welsh team is that they did have like a chronic series of injuries over the last eighteen months. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cameron named his his Welsh team a little bit earlier on, and it's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, everybody is back together at the same time for this weekend, and mm-hmm. it may be. It may be that it's very easy for them to get a significant jump in improvement in in quality. I, I don't think Gatland is really going to really worry too much about this Six Nations. If I'm, you know, I think he's probably looking at the World Cup as a way of using this to 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 bring his game plan back in because there was a difference between Gatland's, you know, ball and play, you know, a lot of lot of you know um, activity in the game, get to the breakdown quick enough, and and try and force. Uh, mistakes of your opposition but then you had um, Pivac who was very much a kind of nearly finesse you know the ball in play was less but the the passes were longer the, the you know the distance of passes so there's going to be a bit of transition between getting those players back even though it's been only a couple of years a lot of those players may not have actually played under uh, Gatland before so there's going to be a, 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 a short period of time where those players are fixed up for what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, he, he, he could go back to the tried and tested this weekend. That's why the team selection is going to be very interesting. Yeah. And that's why maybe this is PVAC data and the Gatland data might be different. Yeah, oh, 100%. Of course it will be. But it's it, 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 we're talking about... <clears throat> You know, the coaches at this level are, are not trying to make huge amounts of changes. You know, the more amount of changes you make, the harder it is for 15 lads to do what it is they're supposed to do at every one time. So it's quite subtle. You know, you, you look at Apollo Connell when he came into the Irish setup. He's like, we're not trying to change what they're doing. We're just trying to improve what but, they're actually really good at. Yeah, also... And that's uh, what Gatlin's quite good uh, at. And in, in the Ireland, to, like, um, post-Joe Schmidt and into Andy Farrell, there wasn't a whole heap of change at the start. It took a long time for that change to come through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. so uh, yeah. the performances over the last few games, uh, Wales versus Ireland. Um, yeah, so, like, the, the, the second slide then we're going to look at is just a kind of performance of the positions. So we've got, we, we split it into, we're trying to always kind of simplify the way in which the analysis goes. So we have front row, second row, back row, half back, centre, back three, and we aggregate the quality of the performances for each team. And this way we can then see where, where one team is better and one team is worse. So you can see, you know, for people that can't see this, basically our, our front row and second row, there's a, is a, well, there's a slight improvement in front row between Ireland and Wales. Second row, there's a significant difference in quality between Wales and Ireland. But then the back row, it kind of slips, or it, it changes where we have Wales slightly better than, than Ireland. Um, and this is where injuries come into it, into play, which is what players here are injured that would affect this. But overall, when, when we look at Ireland, Ireland has better, better players in five, or one, two, three, four, four of the positions, while Wales only has one specific position better than Ireland. So all, all of the data, all of the analysis would, would indicate that Ireland, if they play the way they're supposed to want to play, if they play uh, and they, they hold on to the ball and they, they bring it through their forwards, they will eventually crack what, what Wales are trying to do. The lines aren't wildly divergent, though. These are two fairly close teams. Um, to an untrained eye, Jerry. There you go, there you go, that's me, yeah. <laughs> um, well, like, if you look at the second row, there's a significant difference between the two. Okay, that's, so that, that is, that's massive. So anything over 0.1 of a difference is, is 
right. uh, something to, to take into consideration. So, um, so like the, the centres, for instance, Wales are slight are a little bit better, but that wouldn't be a massive gap. But the difference between the back three and the second row is is significant. Okay. So this it, this is just one of the graphics that we we try to help coaches to better help them better understand the difference between one team and another. Okay. Uh, the other one of the big aspects that has kind of begun to explode properly is, is fantasy, and, and one of the things that uh, consumers watching will be like, "How do I pick my fantasy team?" Yes. Uh, use use the data. Well, the data, the data. So, just to take a look at the what the way in which fantasy currently exists in rugby, you know, it's only the Six Nations is really the only game that's 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 you know worth doing, and that's because of the size of the competition. So, what we've done is we, we're releasing a consumer product on ReactRugby.com, and users can go in there and they can uh, look at who, what type of players there is in, in Six Nations. So, who's the best graded player? You know, what type of player they are based on what they're doing. But we've also given them the ability to go in and see. Um, who's the best performer based on fantasy over two games. So we have two games of each, Ireland, England, France, Wales, Scotland, from the from the Autumn Nations Cup. We've turned it into the system. We've actually taken the Ireland game from Ireland, New Zealand in the third desk because there's more players playing in that than the Ireland-Australia game. And basically all the games that we took from that those Autumn Nations Cup, there, there's all, the, the, the performance difference is quite, quite small. So we didn't take... Uh, England versus Japan, for instance, we took the close England, games. Yeah, the yeah. really close games. So that has, you know, just like the Six Nations. Um, so users can go in here, um, and one thing that we've kind of tried to to balance is is um, the average number of uh, points per per game section. So this is something new. So we we split every game into six sections: three first half, so start of the first half, middle way through the first half, and the end of the first half, and then same in the second half. And that's based on actual game time. So an average in the Automations Cup, the ball and time play was 30 minutes. Okay. And the average time on, on pitch was, uh, I think it was 102 minutes. Okay. It's a lot of, uh, <laughs> the, the general instinct that people have is there's a lot of scrums and every, this game takes a long time. Yes. That's correct. Oh, yes. Yes. It's bizarre. It's, it, and like you can try and see the World Rugby trying to bring in these new rules to try and improve the, the speed of ball and play. But it, unless you're going to implement it to all levels of the sport... Those things don't tend to take mm. on because it takes too much organisation. Um, but basically, what what we've done here is so we, we've taken the total number of um, game points for, with the total number of uh, game sections that a particular player has played to show you the average number of game <laughs> points per game section. So the the idea here is we can show you how to build your team in fantasy based on positions. And what I would say to everybody is is don't waste your time on spending uh, points on your scrum halves. Although in, in real life, in real rugby, scrum halves are probably one of the most, maybe second most important position in, in the pitch. But in fantasy, they're not going to get you many points. Now, DuPont may get you points by scoring tries, but you don't get any points for passing the ball. You only get points for tackling, carrying over certain distances, and scoring tries, basically. So the data and the performance side of things do not match up to... The game. The, the fantasy game. Yeah. So you could be a great fantasy player, but not. Uh, it might be reflected in your player ratings for the match necessarily. Or the yeah. other way around, you could be a great yeah, player yeah. And, and not get any. Yeah, uh, and that's that's what that's what with that reactrugby.com. You'll need your username and password. It, it's the the mobile mobile version is a little bit of work to do, but be patient with us. But we're getting there, and we're, we're going to be releasing data throughout the whole Six Nations 
in the same vein, which is trying to help people understand who's the best player based on data and analytics and who, who, who's the best fantasy players based on their performance. Uh, in terms of the actual performance then, and you mentioned Scrum Half, y- yeah. show us how the, the Scrum Halves all compare that are playing in the Six Nations. Well, th- this is actually from the Autumn Nations Cup, actually. So um, I've talked to some pretty high-profile coaches about ruck speed and about what makes a good scrum half and uh, we just weren't getting the proper metrics the whole ruck speed thing is is, is there a bizarre. consensus the, the, the coaches all say the same it's or similar yeah <clears throat> well see the the, peop- <clears throat> the the ruck speed thing has been taken out of context to a certain extent because explain ruck speed for anybody so just yeah so a couple of years ago they wouldn't have been measuring this so two or three years or four years ago oh it's four, four second ruck speed that's because they weren't measuring the time of ball placement to pass. So it wasn't, you know, they weren't measuring the time stamp correctly. So it doesn't... It, it, Data isn't correct. Up, up to this point, what we were measuring was um, the ball goes into the rook and how long it takes from that point to it getting away from the rook. Yeah. And that... So what, we, what we've done is we've taken three metrics. So we take from when the ball placement is placed on the ground, so when the player stops moving, basically, to when the pass is made. But we also take when the player is available to the rook. So basically we have Jensen Gears and Park gets the rook. We, as soon as he sets his feet, we give a timestamp. So then we can measure the distance between the ball placement and the, the passer. So this is the first um, first sheet. So here, this is all this, the players from the Autumn Nations Cup. And basically by looking at it in this way, we can identify who's quickest to the rook. Okay, so we've got the Argentinian nine. Um, Australia, Italy. So these players are getting to the rook quickest. So I think we can see Conor Murray is sixth to speed to rook. So he's getting to the rook quick, one of the top guys. Um, and he, he's getting there, so he's getting himself into position. So this is really important to understand who's getting there. So it's funny, right? So the, so the list for, for people, again, who are listening, uh, Gonzalo Bertrano, is that how you say Bertrano? <laughs> sure. He's the Argentinian uh, nine, and then after that, it's Jake Gordon, and they're getting there 0.4 of a second, 0.5 of a second. Uh, Jake average. Gordon, Stephen Verney, uh, Fakatava of New Zealand, um, and then Conor Murray is like 0.5 at 0.6 seconds. And then after that are players who you would have traditionally thought, oh, those guys get to the rook really fast. Mm-hmm. He's actually ahead of Gibson Park, he's ahead of Fafta Clerk, he's ahead of Aaron Smith. Um, and he's ahead of Ben Youngs as well. Yep. So that, that's a good thing, right? You, you, yes, that, that, and, that's, and that's, a start, what, that's a starting point. And that's what would have been measured in the past. Like it's, uh, oh, you can no, get... it was just it would have been just the, the rook speed. Right. So, but the rook speed is dependent on the ball placer, it's dependent on the rooks, rookers, it's dependent on other information that's not related to the scrum half. Yeah. Is what, what our point was. Antoine Dupont is a good bit back, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah on yeah. average. So a lot of this uh, data as well can be, can be considered as... Um, to be uh, by by purpose or you know part of strategy, because Dupont will will get to the breakdown, but he'll scan what's going on as he gets to the breakdown before he sets and makes his decision. So that 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 that's indicated here, <clears throat> and but you can't have all scrum halves do that mm. because you you don't want all scrum halves to have to make decision. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the vast majority of scrum halves are are link plays or link players. That's, that's all they, they should be doing is getting to the breakdown and passing the ball to the guys outside them. But Dupont's a little bit different. He can scan after third or fourth phase. He will scan and see where those weaknesses are before he makes a decision. So that's that's 
there's a reason behind why DuPont's a little bit slower to the breakdown. It's funny when you when you immediately see the stat and you see arrival time at the breakdown as as pretty fast, you think that's that's a good thing, mm. but it's what happens next. It can yeah, have a knock on effect. Exactly. And um, so this is just in the opposition's half as well. So we, we we're not taking into consideration defensive. Yeah, because yeah. it's just it's not worth and that, again, that's where ours is different. We we go in and we say we extract out what is actually useful for a game plan rather than, you know, just the, the road yeah. speed. You know what I mean? Um, but then, so then the next slide is the most important one, which is the actual speed of pass between the ball placement and the passer. Um, and this is where you know, unfortunately, Connor Murray moves from being joint sixth, I think it was, uh, down to eighteenth or second last, where he his you know, speed between the ball being available and actually passing the ball mm. is significantly slower than the other players. And now, it's interesting that Gibson Park is just ahead of him in that list. So yep. Ali Price is ahead of him, and then Gibson Park is, is one ahead of him. So Gibson Park is 16th and Conor Murray's 18th. Is there any suggestion then that that is by purpose? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it could be. could be. But again, we we... we once we start to get more and more data in this, and you know, we should have enough by the end of the five games after Six Nations, then it, it no longer becomes by purpose, it becomes part of actual what it is they're trying to do. Um, and whether or not that's that's inhibiting or improving what's happening in the game. The third thing that we kind of add to this then is speed onto ball. So when the player um, passes the ball, how fast is the player that receives the ball coming onto it? And that's the, the last slide then. Excuse me. Which is in the opposition's twenty-two, which uh, Conor Murray then is, is again second last, he, with an average speed of three. So that means basically the players are stationary or stationary and moving onto the ball, which you know that's it's it's a bit uh, it's a bit hard to to show on the on the the or over the radio should I say? But what what we're trying to say is is that the, the effect of the player getting to the breakdown is good. The effect of the slow ball placement has effect on the players running onto the ball. Now, again, it can be by design because, you know, you've got a 9 or a 10 who's trying to spread the ball in the opposition's 22. But fundamentally, how you get over the game line is by players running onto the ball, making making ground after contact, and then, uh, you know, building pressure that way. So it's, it's just a different way that we, we've found having a much more accurate way of, of uh, using the data to... to identify who's the best team passing in the opposition 22. Yeah, and that final graph as well, DuPont is much closer to the top than he is to the bottom, so yeah. there's been a change. It's like uh, slow, slow, quick. Yeah, so what happens is is if a player gets the, the breakdown and is slow to pass the ball, what happens is the players that are receiving the ball overrun the ball, so they'll, they'll be expecting the ball half a second quicker, they'll take two or three seconds and then they'll have to stop so when the pass is actually made to them they're actually stationary. And that's 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 okay if it happens once or twice, but then once that changes, so they say, okay, we'll, we want to speed up the game. The players who are already overrun the ball are now They've expecting to, yeah. to 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 that that same uh, situation. So they're not sure whether or not they should be coming off the ball quicker, yeah. or that they should be stationary when they're getting the ball. So having a nine that's able to give you a pass that brings you onto the ball. Is is something that that probably nobody else is really talking about, and it's just something that we think. Now, again, this is just a very tiny, tiny part of the data that we collect and we calculate, but it's, it's just something that that we think can uh, can make make coaches and, and people change their opinions about what's happening in the game. Okay, uh, explain how that would work, right? So, I'm a coach in the setup, and you're showing me this. How do I fix that? How do you fix that? So, you, it's quite simple. Like, um, 
a lot of nines fall into this category of uh, hesitating when they get to the night, they get to the breakdown. It's it's pretty easy for me to say because I'm an analyst, I'm not a player. You don't need you know, but I, at the end of the day, it's it, we we're trying to help players and coaches improve. This, this the only purpose of this data is to help coaches and players improve. So you need to condition so, that in training. No, we, we would we would take try to take because this this you could see it through Hunter Murray's um, career, you know, where he. He came along and he, he was oh, trying to be that game or trying to be the guy that Dupont is, which is trying to be able to change the way in which the game is played and try and help uh, control the speed of the game. Then Joe Schmidt came along and was like, no, we just want you to get in, get the ball out as quickly as possible. And that's where he went through his best period. And then all of a sudden became a threat because he wasn't thinking of carrying or making any decisions. He was just passing. The defence forgot about him and then he was able to pick and go and score tries off it. But he's gone back into that situation where he's trying to make a decision what to do rather than just getting the ball out of there. So, and it's it happens all levels of the game, all the way up from schools, all the way up through international, where it's a very simple: just get in, and get the ball, be the connector. Don't be the game. Don't try and uh, control the game from nine. You just want to be connecting the, the the fours and the backs, and that's 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 how I would. Uh, help that that nine to to improve his speed passing. Okay, unless you have a world class player like Dupont, you decide you're going to run the game through him, and then it's up to him to make those decisions. Yeah, but you you got to earn that. You got to you, you know Dupont is a, <laughs> different. Like he's, he's an outlier. Yeah, and he's he's not looking to 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 get change the game. He's just looking for specific instances. So if you wanted scrum halves to do that, you you would take a little bit longer getting to the breakdown. But then you, you, as soon as you make a decision, and you would only do it over a certain number of phases. So you'd only do it over, say, phase four or five, until the the opposition's um, defensive line has changed. Okay, and that's that's how you you, you change. You know, you'd be looking for those. Okay, are we after the fourth fourth phase? Is there any gaps in the breakdown? You know, what can I do to change that game? But it's 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 uh it's easier said than done, I suppose. Who's going to win the Six Nations? Oh, Jesus. Um, uh, France. Okay, right. <laughs> Derek, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, sir. Uh, that's Derek McNamara there from reactrugby.com. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Up next, we have Deal or No Deal with Phil Egan. Hi, right, Maddie Taylor. I can see him getting his car. I've decided to go to Bolton. I'm waving him going out the car. <laughs> Just love moving teams and then you have to do an initiation. They just don't seem to be able to get deals over the line. Right, it is time for uh, the final deal or no deal of this transfer window because it closes tonight. Uh, we're going to start with some good news though. Evan Ferguson's injury not as bad as it might have been. Yeah, that's what the Athletic are reporting. And yeah, there was a few rumours going around last night that he was chatting to a few of his teammates who were at the, the reserve game. There's obviously a lot of Irish players at the at the club now so it doesn't look like it's too bad and then you've got the the other news on top of that from the the PGMOL saying that Fabinho should have been sent off which I mean we all knew that as soon as it happened it was lads yeah thanks I think uh, it was, I think it was interesting though like listening to Lauro yesterday who was saying that like essentially that uh, VAR likes the referees to referee but the referee is like oh if I miss this VAR I'll get it for me so it doesn't really matter and then you fall between the two stools and it's like mm. well somebody just needs to like 
how are we doing this today? Yeah. I'm going to do everything, and if I'm going to ref as I see it, you overrule me. And I, I, yeah, my ego is not going to be, oh, I've changed my mind. My ego would be like, we got the right decision. Yeah. That's, the, that's the way, that, that's the common sense approach that should be used. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head there when you talked about egos and the, the on-field referee might miss something. Yeah. just could be at a bad angle. You mightn't see something from, I mean, obviously, if you have the benefit of six or seven replays... All you would have needed is one replay. Well, Laura was saying yesterday he's a mate of Neil Swarbrick, who was the VAR official, and he said he just wanted to let the referees referee. But sure, referees are fallible. They're human Absolutely. beings. They can make mistakes. So the VAR official, he should have been sent to the monitor to view it at the very least a second yeah, time. Absolutely. And then he would have given the red card, you'd imagine. 100% would have given the uh, red card. You the hope point? so. <laughs> you hope so. I mean, it oh, definitely... Yeah. Like, it was a shock and tackle. Yeah, not great. Uh, okay, so... We don't know what that means. Like Nathan was saying, that there was a, a fear that it could have even been an ACL. Yeah. So not as bad as it might have been is like we're still. Yeah. Let's wait till we hear Roberto De Zerbi say Evan Ferguson will be back. Yeah. In this time, because uh, obviously the France game is looming large. Yeah. And he was definitely playing. He was definitely starting that game. Well, he is currently our best and most informed player. Yeah, and is there anybody else in this good form at the moment? We get very excited when we have players that young players that start in the Premier League. So he ticked that box, but then he started scoring. So uh, yeah, and like that goal. Steady against, on here, Evan. I don't know how going to be able to take this. That goal against Leicester, the header. I yeah, just yeah. kept watching it back on. on, her, on what a header! Oh, it was unbelievable. Jesus! I even Crossed watching him the other day when I turned on the game the other day and he's standing there in the tunnel and you're just looking at him going this guy's 18 but yeah. look at the size of presence yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the French don't know he's 6'2 is he 6'2 6'1 uh, maybe uh, somebody uh, Adrian was asking last night is he only 6 foot and um, David played golf with him recently enough mm. that's um, he was looking up at me that might you. never happen yeah uh, he was looking up at you he was yeah yeah he was like this was he sitting <laughs> down or something <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is a big lad but you know this whole this whole uh, do you know, there are taller players than him in the Brighton team, for example. Yeah. Luke Shaw. He's the big lad up front. Luke Shaw, there's this theory that Luke Shaw's over six foot. So I need to see when Brighton play United, Luke Shaw standing beside, stand beside Evan Ferguson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's see what happens. <laughs> um, okay, some Irish transfers. Katie McCabe has been linked with Chelsea. She still has 18 months left on her current contract. Uh, Arsenal have said this is not going to happen. No. They haven't spoken to her about it. Now, that's what you would say if you were trying yeah. to drive the price up at the last minute. Well, Emma Hayes as well, the Chelsea manager said, we won't be doing any deals before the, the end of the... So everybody is saying the right thing. In the meantime, though, Arsenal are being linked with spending loads of money on Man United's best player. So there might be a swing I know, yeah, when I saw that, the, the world record bid for Alessio Russo, who's out of contract in the summer and has been linked with a move to Arsenal Her, her contract negotiations have been going on for... Yeah. A, 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 absolute era at Old Trafford yeah and it, it's strange when like United are on the up they're top of the WSL at the moment there's a there's a good title race mm. there at the moment Arsenal are three points behind United and Chelsea so United ahead of Chelsea in goal difference United, or Arsenal have a game in hand but we're only at the halfway stage now Chelsea are the ones that tend to get the job done as they did last season on the final day so which well, is apparently a Chelsea fan Kitty McKibb yeah. mm. does that have an impact I don't know but look from an Irish point of view, Katie McCabe is an elite footballer. Obviously, it's a massive year for for the Irish women's team. The great news as well that the the opening game is going to have more than eighty thousand on it, mm. which is just unbelievable. And um, 
we just want Katie McCabe to be playing. She plays week in, week out for Arsenal. Strangely enough, actually, she was left on the bench. She came on against Chelsea. She didn't start that game, which was very strange, considering she starts all the time. Yeah. yeah. Rihanna Jarrod has left uh, London City Lionesses by mutual consent. Is there a possibility she ends up back here? Well, she said she wants to come home and start enjoying her football again. So right. obviously her links are Wexford. Um, you know, she had, a, she had a very good spell with Wexford, which got her a move across. She's had awful problems with injuries, three ACL injuries. I mean, it's incredible that she keeps bouncing back. So a lot of people would think, right, Ireland International coming back to Ireland there's a new club that are signing Irish internationals. <laughs> yeah. They're signing everyone. Signing everyone, sure. Rovers is a possibility. Who knows? <clears throat> but okay, we'll wait and see. As I said, the important thing for Rihanna is to get back playing football and, as she said, enjoying her football. Yeah, and um, obviously available now. So, yeah. uh, to the Premier League, um, Anthony Gordon to Newcastle is confirmed. How good a deal is this for everybody? It's a great deal for Anthony Gordon. He gets out of a relegation scrap. He goes to a club that are on the up, are just going to keep getting better. They're in the mix for a Champions League spot. And there's definitely a place in that team for him because like, I look at someone like Joe Willock who plays on the left-hand side. Anthony Gordon could be looking at him thinking, yeah, I can take his place. Mm. He could play on the right as well. So it's up to him now. He, Eddie Howe has done such a good job since he's come in and he's got... He's trying to build a bit of depth, but he also, because they're doing so well, that if players sign for the club and they're not up to it or their attitude is wrong, they're, they're shipped out. Yeah. Now, one thing he's going to learn is that they're probably getting good wages now, so it could it might be hard to move some players on because they, they see Newcastle and they think, right, if I can get in there, yeah. I'm set for life. Yeah. Set for life. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's a, big, it's a big challenge to him to try and get in that team. He seems to be capable of performing at a level to get into the team yeah. and uh, Eddie Howe so far has been managing those careers generally really well so um, maybe it's a great move but it's, it's not very, yeah, it's, it's not nailed on is it? No it's it's hard to tell because it, you know he's had such a such a short window in terms of what we've seen of, of him at Everton and this is a, an Everton team that weren't going well and haven't been going well but he has caught the eye Lampard then started leaving him out towards the end of his his tenure so but I think of when Everton were going digging out results last season Anthony Gordon was definitely uh, one of their better players Richarlison was the player that got them out of trouble in my eyes anyway Must be nice to be leaving a team in relegation battle for a team in a League Cup semi-final and Fighting for Champions League spots in, in Europe as well. That's it. That's why like, it's a good deal. One hundred percent, and it's a good day for the for the accountants at Everton as well. Balancing the books, forty five million in for, for Anthony Gordon, and potentially spending it straight away, forty five million for Conor Gallagher. Yeah, I don't think he wants it. Right. Like we, we mentioned relegation scrap, he's thinking, I don't need that. <laughs> he, like, he, you know, he was at Palace last season. He had a really good season. He's gone to Chelsea, gone back to Chelsea, thinking maybe I can kick on. But unfortunately, Chelsea are just a bit of a shambles at the moment they're signing all these players yeah. you know the way you guys do your depth charts Graham Potter's depth chart like he's just <laughs> so many names yeah. so he's just trying to work out what his best team is I actually had forgotten about Joe Felix yesterday I mean I remember he, mm. you know and I remember the red card but yeah. I, it was only after I was like oh yeah of course because um, the Mudrick stories obviously um, uh, has landed himself in hot water rightfully yeah. so uh, and you're like Oh, is everybody going to like, arrive, get a ban, miss a few games, yeah. and the squad is big enough for you not to notice? 
That's um, it. They've such a massive squad, and obviously all eyes are going to be on them today to see can they get that Fernandez deal done. And Jorginho, at the at the moment, is being linked with Arsenal, yeah. which would be a really interesting move from Arsenal's perspective to be able to sign somebody uh, from a rival in this instance again. Now, I'm not sure Jorginho is going to play a lot of football in the starting team. Is he? No, it's he's basically he would be brought in as cover for Thomas Partey and. Obviously, Arsenal want to get the Casado deal done, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So then they bring in Jorginho, who, when Arteta was at City with Pep Guardiola, they looked nailed on to sign him. Mm. So obviously, Arteta is fond of him. And I could see how he would work in the, the Arsenal team. Arsenal, at the moment, the way they zip the ball around, everything would go through Jorginho. He wouldn't be as strong physically as Partey in terms of he, he, I would see him as a bit of a liability defensively if you if you can get at him but at the moment not many teams are getting at Arsenal because they own the ball so mm. it definitely would suit him and I, I know you said that Arsenal would be getting from a rival but right now Chelsea aren't even considered a rival for Arsenal and he, you know he's out of contract in the summer they have to start getting rid of players Chelsea yeah yeah, really urgently. Uh, there is huge news coming through from Manchester City. It looks like João Cancelo, who we were all wondering what's happened here, uh, one of the most important players in the team last season, perfect for that kind of, uh, okay, it's actually somebody who can control the game from fullback at various stages when you're in possession. Seems to have had a massive row with Pep to the point where yeah. Pep is sending him to Bayern Munich yeah. on loan for the rest of the season. I know, and it There's seems... a giant crack in the whole everything is great, everybody loves us, everything is straightforward... It's not. This is very much, there's nobody bigger in the team. Pep is in control and mm. it's something that if City don't win the league, it'll be brought up. And you think, like you mentioned, obviously his ability on the ball, he's a great finisher, but also when he plays on the left, that that cross that he can just curl in. And But it stems from the Chelsea game, apparently, where he got taken off at half-time. Pep did a Pep in the first half against Chelsea in the league game where he played Cancelo in midfield which Cancelo was comfortable in that area of the pitch but he was playing ahead of Kyle Walker it didn't work Chelsea actually had a decent first half then Pep says right I'm going to change things at half time Cancelo you're off and never really recovered from that and has been left on the bench for the last few games and has just obviously it's a big big move from the, the reports of Sam Lee in the Athletic is saying that he sat in meetings and just looked disinterested and almost sulked and now Pep has just said get out of my sight good luck it's also some reports in Portugal that they're talking about letting Bernardo Silva go but that seems to always emerge yeah, yeah. and it never happens but links. yeah this could be a great day for Arsenal uh, Harry Maguire is obviously looking at the situation of some of his former centre-back uh, colleagues and predecessors at Manchester United. They've gone, they've reinvented themselves in Italy and Inter Milan apparently made an inquiry. Mm. If I'm Harry Maguire, I'm thinking, Inter Milan's not a bad team, I can no. get out of here. And if you're Man United, are you thinking, yeah, let's do this. Let's get, let's, you go. Let, this year is over. The, the banter bus here at Manchester United is done. Yeah. Away we go. Absolutely, and it looks like Skriniar is leaving Inter to go to PSG, and it goes back to something that we've talked about before. When you're looking to sign for a club, find out what exactly the way they play, what formations they play. They tend to play three at the back, so Maguire could be one of three, which would suit him. And Chris Smalling is the example of somebody that 
left Manchester United, went to Roma, has made over a hundred appearances for Roma. Uh, actually, flew into the Italian as well. Yeah, well, I effort. like the thoughts of Harry Maguire in a couple of years, given a, a passionate Italian post-match speech. interview in Italian. Oh yeah, after leading, scoring an important goal in the derby to keep Inter top of Serie. A. Do you know what else I'd love to hear it speaking Italian soon? Is Phil Jones? Yeah, get him out the gap. That man's making seventy-five thousand pounds a week. Ah, you can't be. That's that's not his fault. That is not no, his fault. Not, I'm not He's entitled every fault. every single penny that he should sit it out. I mean, get rid so, of him. No, but that's Man United's fault. And, and look, this that's is Man United's fault. They yeah. gave him the contract. Why shouldn't he take that money? That money's yeah. his. He's earned it. His contract will be up soon enough. But Jesus, like he's not tra- like the quotes from Ten Hag this week. He says the whole season he's been injured. I, I, what I can say, he's not available for training. Hasn't been since the first day of training this season. Then the opportunity that you recover quickly also goes. Bit of a dig, like yeah. But w- look, these are the problems Ten Hag has inherited, but he's handling them very well. Yeah, really it's not his fault, them. of course. So, no, absolutely. And Phil Jones will be gone soon enough. And who takes him? W- but in terms of of Harry Maguire, it, it would be a good move from as Inter are. Look, they're second in Serie A at the moment. Yeah. Napoli are going to walk the league. Inter is a totally acceptable get out of Absolutely. Manchester United because yeah. there's not that many situations you can go to where people aren't looking at him going, Whoa, what are you, uh, you know, like if all around it's England. Kind of the limelight as well. Yeah. But he, like, I wonder though, what does it do for his England career? Because in fairness to Gareth Southgate, he has stood by Harry Maguire. I think he had a, an okay World Cup. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that maybe if England want to actually go about winning the tournament, they need a bit more from that position. Yeah. Than, you know. I don't, I, well, I don't know if it's there, though. I don't know it if they actually be. have the centre-halves at it, the moment. You need to develop some of them, I mean, though. people are talking about Tamori, mm. um, but AC Milan at the moment are leaking goals. Beaten 5-2 or 6-2 by Sassuolo at home at the weekend? Yeah. I was lost, like, what? Lost 4-0 to Lazio last week, lost 3-0 to Inter in the, the Super Cup. That is one of those where you're going, I, I mean, wow. <laughs> but, but if he goes Inter... He's going to be part of a team that challenges for the title. I know Napoli are going to walk League football all the time. Yeah, and Napoli are going to walk it. But the problem is, and it kind of the, the general thing we're going to see today is the stupid amount of money that's in the Premier League compared to the rest of Europe, where that Napoli team are a breath of fresh air. Yeah, and the worry is at the end of the season they're going to be absolutely raided, like the likes of Osimhen gone, Kvaratskhelia gone. Maybe because they win the league, they'll be able to keep them in a way that's previous generations haven't we'll wait and see uh, anything else anything left field that you might expect to happen today that isn't on the list of stuff no I think um, there's going to be obviously it's going to be loan deals I'll be keeping an eye on Everton obviously you mentioned they have to they have to sign a few players there's loads of good value to be had raiding Chelsea's oh, yeah. reserve team at the moment that if you were a team kind of in that 6-10 to 10 and you get Conor Gallagher that's good like absolutely I, I think that I think with Gallagher, we haven't seen enough of him to suggest that he is Champions League level. Champions League level, yeah. But I said we haven't league. seen enough of him yet playing in a functional team yeah. that is at that level. Okay, all right. Uh, Nine thirty-eight this morning. Uh, Jody Moylan says on the Cantona debate, he was my favourite player as a youth, bar none. But it's actually true that he never did it in Europe. Iconic, cool as fuck, but not truly great. Better than Beckham, though. Mark C says Wales is a tough game this weekend and Brian Griffin wants to know will Owen Sheehan be dialing in live from South America at some stage this week to ride up the Wales the Welsh ahead of Saturday we'll put the request out to see if he can uh, record us an hour message from the 17th story of the uh, Bogota nightclub he's in Chatting to, to Owen last week on, on text he was, he was uh, thanking me for correcting Tommy Rooney's pronunciation so Tommy came on the power rankings last week just to call him out here 
uh, and he said Owen had been on his way to a nightclub in Medellin but of course it was Medellin that it, time. but that's the me that's the King's Court kind of me sorry, pronunciation sorry I subsequently had a text moment to say you had also butchered it you with your it, I had butchered you, it you with your colonial sorry, Spanish sorry Medellin Medellin what, what way do you want to say it Medellin right. he, said, he said mine was perfect ah here well, Tommy's was Tommy's was the worst of the three. But you're, you're also wrong <laughs> again. Well, Medellin is a better effort than Medellin, isn't take it? Take the take the L. No, because Medellin. Hey. Oh well, that's oh, sorry. That's like oh, the colonial superpower gets to decide the name of the town they arrive in. Do they, Shane? <laughs> no. Bay? No, 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 oh, no, no, no. Have you no. seen translations? <laughs> right. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Medellin. <laughs> Tomorrow, Keith Wood and Jonathan Davis together, ex-Chelsea and Liverpool defender. Jilly Flaherty hurling power rankings a final deal or no deal of the window with Phil here if you're up for that Phil yeah yeah. Carl hasn't asked yeah. yet but uh, I've just no, asked no, you the right. thing is I don't think I'm going to stay up and watch it so I look forward to getting up tomorrow morning and see, see did these deals go through or not OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 